Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to, wait, what? Comics and Pop Culture Podcast, coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is waitwhatpodcast.com. Today, Graham McMillan and I return from our week off to mourn the loss of comics legend Steve Ditko, as well as debate the pros and cons of Batman 50, extol the virtues of the Immortal Hulk number 2, puzzle over the first issue of Captain America, wonder what it is we want from comics and how to get it, and I'm reunited with one of my great loves, the manga Beck by Harold Sakiyoshi, as well as much, much more in this 2.75-hour podcast. Comments on this episode are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. Send us your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester! Graham McMillan, hello! Hello, and just to give you an idea of how great this recording session is going to be, I hit reply, like, answer the phone, like, three times before I picked up. I was wondering, I was like... And I was like, what is happening? <laughs> Why is it not picking up? Oh, so this, this, what I'm saying is this could, this might just be like, hi, technology, everything goes wrong. Yes, yeah, could, could be. We'll see. I don't know. I mean, it's happened to us before. And God knows, Graham, it will happen to us again. Exactly. That's that's why that's why we're here. Yes. God knows what the what are here for, but that's why we're here. <laughs> horribly, horribly wrong with us. Indeed. Indeed. So, uh, well, hello. How are you? I'm good. I'm remarkably warm. But I also feel bad saying that because I also saw on Twitter people being like, it's over 100 degrees for the second day in a row, and we have no power. Oh, God. Air conditioning. And I was like, well, that's that's much worse than here. Like, this is just, like, you know, 90-something. Right. Right. So, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm fine. How are you? Uh, I'm okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Good. Yeah, I... Uh, <laughs> Convincing. Convincing, Jeff. Well, I definitely believe that you're okay. Yes, yes, I know. Well, you know, we'll... Blah. You know, I, I think I think this is a fine segue to talk about the fact that uh, Steve Ditko died uh, this week. Right. Uh, see, well, technically, Steve Ditko died last week. I oh, know shit. Right. For a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. right. Which is, is the really... Sur- so... Uh, Secrets behind the news. Mm-hmm. Um, the Hollywood Reporter broke the story. Yeah. Oh, really? Interesting. I, I work. I work for the Hollywood Reporter, mm-hmm. and I can tell you that we were told it happened way before we ran it because we had to confirm it, and confirming it was the hardest thing in the world. Wow. Really. Um, if, for a, for a, a very obvious reason, which is Steve Ditko had become a hermit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when you te- speak to his friends, they were saying things like, I haven't heard from him, but that's not unusual. Wow. Right. Well, and of course, he doesn't have family, really. Right? Yeah. So, so, it, yeah. so it was, it was, it was a while, mm-hmm. um, which, which was this, because we, we basically had like an internal conversation, mm-hmm. which is we told Steve that goes dead, but we have to confirm it. Like, mm-hmm. because here's the strangest thing. There had been a lot of... Steve Ditko's dead hoaxes over the last couple of months. Really? Like a bunch on social media. People being like, Steve Ditko's dead. And then like a few hours later, people being like, hey, he's not. Wow. Like three or four in the last few months. Really? Which is very odd, right? Yeah. Uh, And so when this, because this came in, uh, like it came to 
the the it came into THR. It wasn't a, a THR reporter who came up with it, mm-hmm. and so it was like a he, he's dead maybe, but we don't know. So so don't do anything now because we're trying to find out what's happening. Mm-hmm. But it puts you in this really weird headspace where you're like, wow, Steve Ditko's dead. Maybe he's not dead, but at the same time, he is old. Yes, but yeah, and, right. and you get in this really weird like it, uh, I don't know if you know or, or don't know, but remember uh, in April there was there was the um, Stan Lee story. So it's basically like Stan Lee is is being taken advantage of by everyone. Uh, he, he has no like all of his caregivers are basically taking advantage of him. Right, and and he he's not really all there for want of a better way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Um. Around about that time, and this didn't come through THR. This came, this came, like I heard this separately and, and somewhere else. There was a Stan Lee is dead thing, mm. which was much easier to confirm, right? Because there are so many people around Stan Lee. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a similar thing. We are like, well, you know, Stan Lee's like ninety odd years old, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 he's been it, he's been in in, in ill health, mm-hmm. and. And you just get in this really weird headspace of, you know, well, maybe, you know, he's had a good innings if he is dead, but maybe he's not dead. But, you know, and, it, and it's, this, it's this really weird thing. So by the time confirmation came, it was this strange thing where people were like, oh, my God, Steve Ditko's dead. And I felt like I'd already gone through like the... Right. You went through you know, all the stages. Yeah. Well, well, but like, and then in reverse, because I didn't know what's happening. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so we get this really strange thing. Uh, yeah, it, it was it was very. It, it is, but it, here's the thing: it is, uh, it is tragic. It is, it is very sad. He, it's weird to look back at Steve Ditko's career and realize like how active he still was. Mm-hmm. You know, because yeah. he really was like still making comics, still right? making comics. Good. That's right. Yeah, still doing stuff through the, his Kickstarter that he was doing with Robin uh, Snyder. Snyder, Snyder, thank you. Yeah. Um, and it was just, I got to thinking, and again, I'm going to talk about Stan Lee for a second, but it, it did go maybe think of Kirby, uh, Jack Kirby, right? Because both Kirby and Ditko had post-Marvel second acts mm-hmm. that were creatively fulfilling, and arguably more creatively fulfilling than their Marvel careers were. Mm-hmm. And I, I'd say Ditko probably more than Kirby. But, Interesting. But nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, I'm kind of like uh, maybe overcompensating from a personal bias there. Mm-hmm. I see. Uh, but like Ditko, I think, left at the height of his powers more than Kirby did and I say that as someone who thinks that the New Gods is as good as Kirby ever got mm-hmm. but but nonetheless I think that Ditko getting out earlier and then going to work for uh, Charlton and then DC mm-hmm. like had a, a, a like more um, impressive second act before returning to Marvel mm. and I think Kirby I don't know. Maybe again. Maybe I'm overcompensating because, like, you know me. Like, New Gods is 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 one of my favorite things in comics. Mm-hmm. You know, as is Olmac, mm-hmm. as is as is the Demon. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like the one thing from that era which I, for some reason, I've never quite found the way into. 
uh, like his his loser stuff from that period as well. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'm completely overcompensating. But mm-hmm. like, you no, know, you look at what Dico did. He did uh, Blue Beetle, Captain Atom, uh, the question, mm-hmm. and then CDC, and he's like, oh, and here's like the Creeper, and here's uh, uh, Starman, and here's Hawking Dove, and and it's just there's so much there. Here's shit, the Changing Man. Well, there's, and there's, you've got to work in Mister A in there too, as well, of course. Right? Yeah. yeah. I, uh, but also, there's there's the I can't remember what the certain sorcery series he did for DC was. Uh, mm. But like, there, there's one of like, and and there's so much that he's just like going oh, and here and here and here and and it's just, it's kind of amazing. And then I was thinking, if Marvel's three greatest architects are Kirby, Dick, and Lee, mm-hmm. Lee is kind of the one with the least impressive creative legacy. That's right. Yeah, I agree. You know, mm-hmm. where yeah, Lee kind of did did you know the origin of Marvel Comics, and that was it. Yeah, like well, he didn't have a second act. No, well, because because I think I think that to me that really backs up the theory that stands stands first act was basically you know letting two geniuses you know, plot his stories and then him dialoguing over them and sort of reigning in their excesses and exactly. making them that's, incredibly that's most, palatable. Sans most creative act was the, was the oversight, was was being the, the editor. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. You know, and, and in that, and, and an editor at such a hands-on uh, level, you know, where it's, you know, editors before, maybe they like dictated a plot or maybe they, you know, fixed the occasional script or dictated the tone or whatever, but, you know, Lee really did. He he wrote the dialogue for the stuff, and he, you know, he fixed things that he thought were broken, um, and he definitely made those... He made Ditko and Kirby more, way more palatable, I think, for a wider audience than they had been before and arguably after, I think. You know, but I think once once those people leave him, when you know, as as you know, Graham, from reading those Stan Lee issues with John Basima, like it's pretty apparent that Lee's doesn't have a lot of t- gas in his own tank. Well, that's just it. Like Lee's Lee's skill is in the dialogue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, Lee's skill is not in the plotting. I. You talking about they're making Dick Cohen Kirby sort of more palatable? Mm-hmm. You've read like Dick Cohen's Blue Beetle and, and Question and, and like mm-hmm. the, the Charleston stuff, the immediate Charleston stuff afterwards. Yeah. Um, how did you find it? Because especially Blue Beetle always strikes me as Dick trying to trying to play to the audience in a way that I don't think any of these other characters do. Interesting. You know, I think for me, um, uh, one of the things that became apparent for me from dipping into Blue Beetle and uh, the the Captain Atom issues that I had read, uh, to me, it was really apparent that Ditko had a really strong grasp on plotting you know not and not just in sort of the but a lot of the stuff that we think of as classic spider-man tropes i think sure, probably yes, came more yes. from ditko than than we assume they came from lee 
you know. Yeah. But... Or, or or else, and this is my read on on a lot of the Blue Beetle stuff. Mm-hmm. If they didn't come from Ditko, Ditko has learned to imitate them really well. Yeah. Although, again, part of me is like. To me, it's sort of interesting where it comes and goes. Like, when you get Ditko, when Ditko comes back and he does the Incredible Hulk, like, Lee had been, you know, sort of doing the Hulk with other artists to lesser or greater degrees of success, kind of, you know. Ditko comes in, and immediately there's, like, love triangles there's like a real propulsiveness to the idea of you know not only is it a love triangle but the love triangle you know there there's a old what's his dingle you know who uh glenn talbot who's like not only you know bruce's like um love opponent so to speak but also like his real <laughs> his also his real nemesis in a way that yeah, exactly. Ross can't you know and also can we can we just mm-hmm. talk about love opponent for a second yeah i know let's make that happen indeed indeed i've been reading a lot of manga today and i really was i'm like love yeah, opponent, love is, opponent so is is pretty awesome so you know i mean and and you can even see it in like look how fucking great shade the changing man is not just you know for the idea and of course the glorious execution but he's got that he's got like it's a plot on rails he sets up again like his love interest is going to become his love opponent you know and there's this whole deal of you know did he everyone believes that he committed this murder so even while he's in on earth doing all these getting involved in all these sort of crazy antics there's this propulsive backstory engine so anyway all of all of which is to say um i i think i looking looking at stuff like the creeper and hawk and dove and even you know squirrel girl like ditko had for for someone who everyone imagines as an incredibly you know sour randian uh, you know, philosopher hermit, you know, like a like a, a a New York City misanthrope. He's really he's he's kind of has the whole package. I just really think that it is that idea of Lee did such a good job at just making a couple of tweaks such that everything became a lot more palatable to people. You know what I mean? But like Ditko, like Kirby, they both have like the whole package in terms of being able to design, being able to just tell amazing sequences and 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 also setting up like really, really kind of deep plot engines for books, you know? Yeah, it, it's kind of it's something that I so I, I wrote a thing for THR yesterday mm-hmm. uh, and something that I had never occurred to me until I'm writing it up. Mm-hmm. Is there's something really strange about Ditko creating characters who then are sort of cult characters until they're revived around 20 years later, right? Yeah, by yeah, other yeah. people, and then they sort of go mainstream mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because it happened with the Charlton characters, which went mainstream twice at the same time because mm-hmm. DC started publishing like Blue Beetle, Question, and and um, Captain Atom series, but also Watchmen happened at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um. And then Squirrel Girl happens twenty years after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It which is that's amazing. It, it's it's really weird, right? It's like oh, mm-hmm. he was like he was roughly twenty to twenty five years ahead of his time. Right, 
Right. Uh, because you have these multiple examples of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, when they were revived, they were revived in very different ways. Shade as well, for that matter. Yes. You know, they, right. they, they get revived in very different ways. Like, I love the 1980s Blue Beetle series, mm-hmm. but it's not a, a, a Dickel comic at all. No. You know, I, the, the 1980s Question comic is not a Dickel comic. No, not Neil at Gitch- all. The Changing Man, right. not a Dickel comic. Yep. You know, it's Squirrel Girl, 100% not a Dickel comic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But he comes up with these concepts mm-hmm. that people then revisit two decades later. Mm-hmm. And people are like, oh, this says something to me about my life now. Right. Which right. is just nuts. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's genuinely amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that, that is, that's some kind of genius. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And again, I feel like it has something to do with that genius is something that he can he crafts something that's so durable that that even if it doesn't, you know, it's something that someone can pick up 20 years later and just make a few changes to it, but make it work. You know what I mean? But but there's really not that many. I mean, it's not done like Ditko. There's a lot of ways that the characters get treated and developed differently. But in yeah. terms of the the look and a lot of the story thrust, like it's all it's all there and it all works. So yeah, it's yeah. it's pretty amazing. It's, it's it's he's he was he really he left behind an, an amazing legacy. Yeah, and it's one of those legacies that you don't really think about until something like this happens mm-hmm. and then you look back and you're like holy fucking shit mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like this, this is amazing <laughs> well no but really how often did you the like before yesterday think yeah Ditko right wow Ditko ah uh, you know I'm kind of in official old fogey mode so I mean honestly I think <laughs> and I'm also a little of course behind the curve so honestly I think it was like a month or two ago when I checked out the um, Hawk and Dove omnibus on Hoopla and kind of dug through it and was kind of like, oh, man, Ditko, you know, like I feel like I've thought that a lot over the last couple of years, but entirely only because DC had published, has done a better job of getting Ditko's stuff back into print also because of the kickstarters that like not only am i subscribe you know because i've previous i funded helped co-fund a couple of books through co-starter that that robin snyder and you know re, re and did co-published either mm-hmm. new material or republished material so i was on the mailing list but also a uh, friend of the podcast jared kobeck uh, is also on that mailing list and would occasionally forward things to me like, Jeff, what the fuck? You know, so <laughs> so I have to say that, honestly, I, I feel like I was sort of reminded of the genius of, of Ditko a lot more over the last couple of years. But but I don't want to say that in a, like, oh, Graham, no, I've been aware all this time. Because well, no, no, there's it, long, it, huge swaths of periods before that where I didn't didn't really think about it and even when i revisited stuff like uh ditko's doctor strange or his spider-man stuff where i'm just like this stuff is fucking genius i still kind of went uh yeah uh, well this the strangest know. thing is uh i was i've been thinking about Ditko for the last week not in a like mm, you know time to reappraise steve ditko's entire career right but because i was at um douglas walk's thing mm-hmm 
uh, uh, last week, and he was he was talking about he did a presentation at, at the uh, the store of books with pictures, mm-hmm. and he was talking about Iron Man, mm-hmm. the the history of development of Iron Man, and he was like, yeah, you like who designed the Iron Man armor? Everyone knows, and people were like, ah, it's Jack Kirby, and he's like, no, yeah, Don Heck who drew the series, no, it was Steve Ditko. The of red course. and gold armor, Steve Dickel. Of course. I should have realized that. Didn't know it, but of course I should have realized it because it's got all the classic Ditko uh, underpinnings. Right? Yeah. And that, but like, and but also, you know, and I can't remember if Douglas brought this up or someone else brought this up, but like, Ditko's the one who decided that Bruce Banner turned into the Hulk when he got mad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you have Ditko making these like really minor course corrections, which are of course massive. Yeah. Yeah, just huge. huge you know, so yeah. like Dickel's influence on Marvel beyond Spider-Man and Doctor Strange. That's right. It's really intense. Yeah. And and it's he just, you know, so it's funny. So I was thinking about that, and I and I wasn't thinking of him in terms of like Steve Ditko is one of the most influential figures in comics, but literally Steve Ditko is really influential to Marvel, and he never really gets his due there. Oh, like because. Yeah. Because just people think of him as like, oh, he did Spider-Man, he did Doctor Strange, the end. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, he did, like, he really, really was far more important. Mm-hmm. And then this happens and you're like, oh, shit, and he did all the, like, he did all this other stuff. Like, you don't get Watchmen without Steve Ditko. Mm-hmm. Like, literally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it wouldn't have happened because the source characters wouldn't have existed. Oh, yeah. Right. Well, no, I mean, right, the, the source characters wouldn't have existed, but... I think even even more to the point, um, you just Rorschach, who is you know uh, such an it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's Mister A, right? But uh, but also visually, Dickel like was all about the nine panel grid. Like Gibbons is, is on record saying he stole it from Dickel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, like there's all these things that you're like, oh, that's right. Yeah. He was really fucking important. Yeah. He, and he and was. again, it, like I I know you know maybe I'm just, I am just projecting, but like. I don't think he got his due at all. And in large part because it was really easy to write him off as, oh, it's that crank who now hides away and like doesn't want to talk to anyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think, I well, think, I think there's that. Again, but, yeah, no, 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 no. I mean, I, I think there's that. I think there's just a number of, it's been such a long, long time too. Like, you know, squirrel girl aside, like there's still more awareness of, like the what so it's sort of that second or third generation down where like the watchmen characters have had this whole set of influences you know what i mean just in the sense of like ditko really is this influential figure but because he's like quote unquote the grandfather figure also it's you know there's also there's a lot of ways in which what ditko in the end just was doing things that makes no sense as far as American culture is concerned, you know, like I feel that America has become so materialistic, like that I just don't like a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, I mean, I totally of course you would do, you know, it's kind of a shame that that so-and-so had to, you know, totally sell out his morals and values. But, you know, he's he and his family are set for life. You know, there's kind of those level of things. And the fact that Ditko, Ditko's frustration about how Marvel recognizes him um, is 
so deeply uh, about about actual recognition and not about financial remuneration. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there, there was a thread on Twitter today, and I, I or maybe last night, um, from uh, Eric Reynolds, maybe. Oh yeah, who, right. Did you see it? I Talking did. about mm-hmm. he here and he and is it who was it? Was it him and Groth went and dropped go, by going him. going to mm-hmm. yeah. And talking to him for like 90 minutes mm-hmm. and about his recognition because the Spider-Man movie had just come out mm-hmm. and their surprise, I guess, that he didn't care about the money. Yeah. He just wanted to be recognized as the creator of Spider-Man. Yep. Yeah. You know, and and apparently at one point Groth is arguing with him about how it's better for him to have the money and God only knows what the context of that is, you know, but Generally, I could see in our culture that sort of makes a lot of sense. But Ditko really did not care. And so there, to, to me, there's that element of, again, it just doesn't, it does not, it doesn't, that just doesn't compute for a lot of us in a very easy way. He's Ditko is not a, does not have a palatable narrative. You know what I mean? Like the closest. No, he, can... he actively rejects the, mm-hmm. the Paul Bernard. Yeah. So, so I think in that regard, you know, and really, what is the history of superhero comics but palatable narratives? Uh, you know, it's kind of really hard for people to kind of get that and back that. And I'm trying to think. Like, I feel like I've heard. You know, there was that other thing, the counter story, which I don't know if has come out on. Twitter, but I remember someone being like, "Oh yeah, you know, I heard this story from," and it 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 varies as who who the actual Marvel person is, but it's it was this story about like someone talking about um, trying to get Steve Ditko to come back to Marvel, and I can't remember the basic gist of it was, you know, it was Ditko, and he was like in his seventies. And his main opposition to, like, the idea of the Spider-Man movie was the idea that he he felt the only person who should be playing Spider-Man was him, you know? And I was kind of <laughs> like, I, like, I just had that thing of, like, oh, that's a really funny story. I'm also kind of like, I don't really believe it either. You no, know what no, I mean? I, yeah, it, 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 yeah, I don't, it's not believable at all to me. Yeah. But I love the idea of the only person who should play Spider-Man is him. Yeah. I, I, I like, I genuinely love that. That, I find that, I find that unbelievable as well, but in an entertaining way. Yeah. Well, I, I guess I find it a lot less entertaining when it's actually, again, being told by Marvel staffers, you know. Oh, yeah, of course. But that, I, I guess what I'm saying is like, the story as a whole, mm-hmm. I find, uh, objectionable, shall we say? Mm-hmm. Like I, I find like kind of shitty, mm-hmm. right? You know, I I, th- I think it's weird a weird scoring points, mm-hmm. like unnecessary scoring points thing. Yeah. But the concept of Steve Ditko saying the only person who should play Spider-Man in the movie is me is great. Right. Like that that one detail is wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I I almost wish that was true. Right. And I don't do it for a fucking second. Right. But I almost wish it was true. Right. Because well, I just yes. love that so much. Yeah, that that idea. Well, and I think that is that thing. Like like I said, it's 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 a mixed bag to me in that sense because it is. It's such a great story. You're kind of like oh, ha, ha, ha. you know, like you you. I just don't like it. 
<laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> I'm one of those people where I'm like, yeah, it's 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 a it's a really well-crafted piece of of propaganda, but you know, but it but it does make me kind of um, uh, irritable, I suppose. You know, uh, well, well-crafted piece of propaganda as opposed to everything else Marvel is doing. How did Marvel not have any sort of response to Steve Ditko's death for like six hours? How how did that happen? Yeah, I mean that's just fucking shameful. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I don't. I mean, part of me is kind of like there's there's. I mean, uh, hopefully for, when Ditko when Stan Lee passes. Well, but no, but they, but that's the thing is, is like when you pretend to give a shit, then six hours probably seems like an actual okay turnaround because they don't yeah. actually well, give a I, shit, you know. Yeah, they got they it in on the same day, you know. I mean, it's the opposite of giving a shit. Like anyone who knew anything would be like, well, here's a huge sigh of relief, you know, because one of the guys who admittedly was clearly never going to like try and fight them in the, the way that the Kirby estate did or would, you know, but there was always the opportunity, the chance that something might turn around and he might, you know what I mean? So who, who controls the Ditko estate? Now? Uh, that's Stein? actually a really good question, right? I mean, because I do wonder if someone is, if someone is going to go after Spider-Man now. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's the thing. He's, he, I don't think so. I, I mean, cause it is the who, who would it? Who would? Yeah. yeah. I mean, who who would? Uh, apart from, I mean, Ditko's got a ton of other stuff that he that he created himself and that he retained mm-hmm. copyrights to, and mm-hmm. you know, maybe whoever gets that stuff, you know, can run around I, and be like, hey, it, the person who created Spider Man. Yes. It sounds terrible, but I kind of weirdly hope that there's some proper, good retrospective look at Ditko's later career. Oh yeah. No, do you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I hope that Snyder or someone partners with like Fantagraphics mm-hmm. and 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 does a, a really good look back with with contextualization of of the work he's been doing over the last like thirty years. Well, yeah, we'll see. I mean, of course, the the one that really comes to mind, of course, is Jog Joe McCulloch as uh, has that. Um... I think I haven't I haven't watched it yet, which is why I feel like an asshole for bringing it up. But you oh, know, the, he had yep. his Ditko presentation that I think yeah. is very specifically the work that that Ditko did in the last thirty years. You know, mm-hmm. um, and Jogs has a lot of really brilliant things to say about Ditko's ability to, um, for lack of a better term. Uh, illustrate his ideas that, that, that his comics as a form of um i guess idea generation i suppose so yeah. it would be wonderful to see something like that because as you know of course fanographics has a couple of volumes of Ditko's stuff uh f- you know that's the public domain stuff that he was doing yeah yeah it, it's Marvel. got like mysterious traveler and something else yeah, yeah it, it's yeah but and a lot of this is selfish. A lot of this is I haven't read the majority of his the stuff he's been working on for the last like you know handful of decades. Right. And I I'd, I'd really like to, but I'd particularly like to in a way that made me understand the context mm-hmm. that it was created 
and the context of, of the subjects it's addressing. Right, right. You know, and I think that there is, I think that the absence of that is to to the industry slash mediums loss. Yes, absolutely. And hopefully, and hopefully that will be. I I would like to think that it will be addressed in some way because I think it might be easier to do so now. In a way. Yeah, that's that's just it. it. It sounds you know really bad, but in the same way that like when Prince died, Prince's family were like, "Oh no, we'll make his work more like we'll make his work available streaming." Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I yep. think it's going to be a similar thing that whoever will control the the Dicko estate, yeah, it's going to be more likely to be like, "Oh yeah, no, you can do a collection of this work." Well, yeah, because they're far more likely to be you know sane. Again, a uh, friend of the podcast, Jared Kobeck. What's that? I was going to say, you say, say it, I was going to say, looking to profit off of already existing work. Well, no, 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 no. But, I mean, either either way, I think it's still more, it, it'll be uh, e- easier, I suppose. Yes, yes. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah more likely. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Because, again, as I was going to say, Jared Kopech showed me, he got a letter from Ditko. And, um, you know, he wrote oh. Ditko, and <laughs> Ditko wrote him back. And, you know, Jarrett being Jarrett, he, he's like, I spent hours, hours on this letter, Jeff, because any time I crafted a sentence, I had to literally try and figure out what's the most paranoid way that can be read. Like, he's, he was like, I literally started with the phrase, I believe that you're a national treasure, and then struck it because I realized for someone like a Randy, and that was more or less me saying that the government had the right to come in and steal all his work, you know? So <laughs> he's like, the amount of time that I spent trying to craft a letter that, that Steve Ditko would find non-objectionable, and it paid off because he, he actually has a personal handwritten letter from Ditko in return from just, you know, oh my God. three or four years Did ago. you did you see Fred Van Lenty's Twitter thread about pissing off Ditko without ever talking to Ditko? No, no, that sounds amazing. It's when he was doing uh, the comic book history of comics, mm-hmm. and he during the publication of this, he uh, Van Lenty's apparently in communication with Dave Sim, mm. and Dave Sim forwards to Ditko the issue of the comic book history of comics about Marvel's creation. Oh boy. And Dick finally just writes back and like, I have no address in this. This is a personal fantasy. And and but Lenty's like, what's hilarious to me is he can't have read it because I'm quoting him in the comic. <laughs> like he goes, it, Van Lenty says, you. I think he literally just saw Stanley in the cover and was like, I'm just putting this straight in the trash. Mm. Mm-hmm. But he was like, I was so honored. <laughs> to to have like provoked this response from Dicko. And then the kicker is, uh. After that, Sim was like, yeah, and now Ditko is not talking to me anymore. Mm. And then Sim turned around to Van Lenty and went, and you can't talk to me anymore unless you sign a legal document saying that you don't think I'm a misogynist. Oh, yeah. Oh, interesting. I'm surprised that he was talking to <laughs> and, him before the misogynist well, petition. I, 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 so, so Van Lenty then says, like, I, I knew he did this, but I thought I'd gone around it because Sim had initiated communication. Right. And he was like, I thought I'd just dodge that. Mm-hmm. And he goes, and I didn't sign the document because, A, that's entirely paranoid. And, I, I, you know, I didn't particularly want to keep writing letters to Dave Sim. And, B, I think he is a misogynist. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, comics, man. Comics, comics, comics. Uh, so should we discuss, like, 
I mean, there's. Should we discuss comics? Uh, should we discuss yeah, I mean, there's stuff to talk about, of course. As you know, well, Brad, I, yes, because uh, one dots. Jeff and I emailed earlier this week, <laughs> and Jeff told me uh, that specifically that he wanted to complain about Batman Fifty. That was your opening gambit. I, I think it was. I think it was my opening. Gambit. No, I, I I know for a fact it was. <laughs> oh really? I thought there was some something else before I got to it or something. Because I no, thought but, there was some sort yeah, of. But what it was was me being like, "Hey, Harry, holding up. It's been a really rough week." And you're like, "Can't wait until we talk. I want to complain about Batman 50." <laughs> <laughs> well, so which, Joel, was, which was great because, of course, everyone Graham wrote back. He's like, "I knew you would." And um, which I think is interesting, Graham. Uh, so I, I, it, yeah. it mm-hmm. just feels like um, I don't know. Anytime it it felt like the sort of thing that was primed for you to dislike, because it was it, it, mostly for for me because it really reminds me of the I Am Suicide arc, which you really didn't like. I, I, it was I, I Am Suicide was. Okay, I mean, you know, it wasn't as bad as you I am say, Gotham. You say that now. You say that now, but you you were not kind about it when we talked about it. Uh, I mean, I, I I'm I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised because maybe you're now grading on a curve because you've hated what came after. It, but yeah, you know, okay. So Batman Fifty, I you know the thing that I find interesting, Graham, more than anything else, and it's one of those weird things that fuels the whole situation for me, is I'm firmly convinced that in a blind taste test, if Tom King's name wasn't on Batman 50, you would not like it at all, if not actively loathe it. And so I'm always fascinated. I don't think so, because I I got weirdly emotionally verklempt over it. Really? Okay, tell me about this, please, because I think that that's such a much more interesting thing like about this there's there uh i i was completely sucked in by the soap opera but i i i buy into the i buy into king presenting it as a tragedy that it is two people who love each other and who want the best for each other and one of them made a very bad decision thinking that she was making the correct decision hmm. um, and I, I I 100% bought into that and as a result like got what I was I really was like emotionally affected by it mm-hmm. um, and then the final page I was like oh you fucker like mm-hmm. that's I like I'm I am sucked in again mm-hmm. do you know what I mean like mm-hmm. it, it worked on both those levels to me hmm. but no I was like reading uh, reading the, the letters they wrote to each other mm-hmm like I, uh, I, I, I was sucked in. Like it completely worked for me. I could, I could. The the, the emotions felt very um, believable mm-hmm. and honest, mm-hmm. and which made the resolution. Which, let's face it, I feel has been coming for at least a couple of months or a couple of issues. Mm-hmm. Like I don't see how any could have finished 49 and not knowing this was what was going to happen. Yeah, right. Well, and I think... You know, like, yeah. It seems really obvious. Mm-hmm. Uh, but seeing that, like, there's there's something about that that also added to it. The inevitability of 
this is not going to go well and this is going to be someone who genuinely thinks that they're making the right choice and it's a hard choice and it's not an easy choice like the easier choice would be to go through with it and be selfish but she thinks that she has to do the selfless thing um for him like i i i completely like i got sucked in i completely believed that and so it played very emotionally for me so like i on one hand like i'm curious why you think i would have hated it Uh, right um okay so let's start with that okay Uh, for me i feel that 50 is well there's 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 the the i think the reasons why i think that you potentially would have loathed it would be that it is um it just i mean for me it's kind of ham-handed and not believable you know i mean the, I, Whereas it was utterly believable for me. Yeah, I just... There, there's, I want to ask something. Mm-hmm. Did you read it before the spoilers? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I avoided all spoilers. Um, so you didn't see any of the spoilers beforehand? No, not... not. I had heard that, I had heard that the New York Times was... Um, had, like, ran something that gave everything away, sort of, I guess, in the title. Uh, and... Uh, which I then went on to read afterwards, but I heard and I saw the the thing of like retailers upset, you know, about Batman Fifty and blah 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 upset about Batman Fifty. But yeah, the, re- the reason I'm asking is like I read it the day before all that blew up, mm-hmm. or maybe even two days before that blew up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went in totally cold. Right. Well, and I, I I do wonder how like not going in cold would have affected me because like reading the New York Times piece. Mm-hmm. I think that would have turned me against the book. Mm, interesting. Interesting. Because I feel like knowing like the context of spoilers everyone, the wedding doesn't happen. Uh <laughs> and you know and people are upset and blah 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 blah. I think would have made me go, Oh, that like that's really cynical, that's really like calculated, that's you know, it's doing the obvious thing, ugh. And I think that would have turned me against the book in a way that when I read it, even though I fully expected it right. to go the way it went, mm-hmm. um, it felt like I was reading it cold. Like, I, I think we had this conversation about DC Rebirth as well. Mm-hmm. So, like, I read that before, before the Watchmen stuff broke. Right. And I and I felt that, like, if I had read that after I'd heard about the Watchmen thing, mm-hmm. I would have had a totally different reaction as well. Mm-hmm. But anyway, sorry, I completely interrupted. No, 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 no. I, I, I think that's. I mean, that's all. I think that's all fair and and good. Con, you know, helpful for the context. So the the I guess, um, you and I, of course, I've been reading Batman, like you said. The issues leading up, I think, particularly from forty eight through forty nine, that it's very clear that there's no, like you said, it seems very likely the marriage is not going to happen. And I think the thing that bothers me, and I have to admit that I was so irritated by the issue that I was reading it, arguably, I would, one might say, I think one could make the case that I was reading it faster than than it deserved to pick up sort of sort of nuance. But from what I could tell, when Selena goes and gets Holly out and is talking to Holly, and Holly's the person who, who basically you know, more or less convinces Selena that, mm-hmm. you know, that it would be a mis- that the mistake of 
marrying Batman is kind of that idea of like, yeah, she's going to make him happy and therefore he's not going to be able to be effective. Yeah, he's, he's not going to be Batman. Yeah. And to me, I think the thing that sort of bothered me more than anything is, is that this was exactly the same point that the Joker had made the previous issue uh, mm-hmm. at at length. And which which is what I liked about it because that was the point where I that was the point where I was like oh something's up mm. like two two people are making exactly the same arguments as Selena mm-hmm. well and maybe that that maybe that's the point where right the idea of like oh well the person that I trust trust most and the person that I trust least are making the same point I think for me it would have made more sense if if Holly had made a different point. Because I think part of the idea that I sort of appreciated about the idea of who Catwoman is and the way in which Catwoman seems, in, in the way that King's positioning of, you know, Catwoman really does make sense for Batman as Batman's ideal mate, as the person who really can change him, because she is not, she does not have a belief that selflessness is good. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that was pretty much the part of the the way in which they're sort of diametric opposites. And and so her sort of natural refutation like of what the Joker's saying, of what everyone is more or less telling her, or even in Batman's posturing about himself, of this idea of I can't be happy if I do it's not going to make me effective it's not it's like I can't you know I have to figure out a way to be a person in the world but I can't figure out how to do that because it means getting in the way of um you know essentially achieving be doing what I need to do in the world whereas Catwoman is a person who essentially her creation she, she is sort of a cat her selfishness is a form of self-actualization that that works in the world and changes the world i suppose like admittedly to the bend of how she wants it changed but the idea that it's a different approach to sort of being in the world and making your mark in the world so for me it's kind of i think that her her natural inclination to dismiss that belief system is put forward by the Joker and others. To me, the idea that, that Holly just Holly saying the same thing felt really static. For me, I would feel that in order for it to have been more dramatic, it would have been a way to Holly would have put it in a way that would have made sense to Selena, that it would have been actually something very different about, you know, Okay. No, 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 no. And I, I again. No, no, that's... The, the, what, well, what's interesting to me as well is, for me, like what the Joker and Holly are saying are essentially verbalizing something that Selena herself is struggling with, but she manages to reject it all the way up until Holly, Holly basically says, "Oh, but you're you're a good guy now." Mm-hmm. And it it feels like that felt like the the trigger. Mm-hmm for me in in my reading of it yeah. that that she is essentially rejecting continually until someone says oh but you're a good guy now you you like you care about this 
Right. And that is that is so upsetting to her mm-hmm. that she's like, no, I'm I'm going to do this thing because because pe- because people are are don't believe that I can't I am doing the right thing or don't believe that I should do the right thing. And so I'm going to make the self-sacrifice. Yeah, whereas, weirdly enough, again, that just feel, it just, that's the part where, A, apart from the fact that the message doesn't really change in any way, and B, that sacrifice so totally falls in line with the way that we would see that sacrifice taking place in, in like, the second act of a rom-com or something, or, or a, a, a rom-drom, that... I just, I was like, it didn't feel, it didn't feel new, it didn't feel interesting to me, it just kind of, those two factors both felt, like, it, yeah, it just, it just felt pat, and, and, and so, that to me really underscored the other pat stuff about it, like, all of it, the, the whole, because come on, this issue is calculated as shit. The whole like, oh, it's the 50th anniversary super big issue, and it's filled with pinups. It's pinups, but, yeah. But they're thematically joined pinups thanks to King's kind of uh, overriding indulgences. I just, I've, I, it's, it's honestly, I was kind of like, eh, it's just all a little too Jeff Lobian to me. But without the sort of satisfying. Jeff Lobian kind of like, oh, I know what people want, and people want like a double page Jim Lee reveal of all of the greatest villains, as opposed to, of course, it's kind of, you know, jammed into the last little corner of the last page. But I, I just, I, I, it all feels really cynical, Graham. All of it feels incredibly, um, it did. It did not feel heartfelt to me at all. It. it when all... you say cynical, where do you think it's going? Uh, you know, I, I, honestly, I feel that it's probably it's it's. I would think. Uh, I don't know. I honestly, I don't know. I. I. If I had to, if I had to wager a guess, I would wager that it would that the that it would go to. Here's Batman getting grimmer, grimmer and grittier while his family gets more and more concerned about them. And there's a concerted effort to get Catwoman back into his life to basically get him back on full tilt. Because I feel like that's sort of the the Batman archetype, story archetype. You know what I mean? Is like... Batman's dealt a blow. He go. He retreats and becomes more like himself. The people worry about how close to the edge that he's getting, and then you know somebody manages finally to shake some sense into him. It could go wanna, a totally different way, but yeah. I I want to. Okay, I'm I'm going to get back to where I think it's going in a second. You just said gets more like himself. Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean like the worst version of Batman is what I mean. Uh, because what for me, and again, I'm reading a lot into this, mm-hmm. um, I think the entire story is headed in the direction of refutation of that. Yeah. I think what you described is Bane's plan. Mm-hmm. And I think what is going to happen is it's a fake out. Mm-hmm. I've said this a couple of places now, but I think that I Am Suicide is this storyline in miniature. 
Oh, right. And as the name suicide, it looks like Catwoman betrays Batman mm-hmm. and sides with Bane. Mm-hmm. But then in the end, it's a fake. Mm-hmm. And they've been ahead of him the entire time. I think that's exactly what's going to happen with this, this storyline as a whole. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to end up being a Batman is not broken. Mm-hmm. And Batman has learned to accept that he can be, as he said in his letter, like it's possible to be happy and be functional. Mm-hmm. That, it, that you can't, that there is something beyond the broken child. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that it will either end with the marriage mm-hmm. or will end with not the marriage but not heartbreak either. Right. Right. Uh, and that, yes. That's a really interesting story. And again, a lot of that is basically me being like, in my fan fiction version. <laughs> um, well, but, no, and I think that... Because uh, of that, yeah. mm-hmm. like, 50 doesn't feel like... 50 feels like the... Like the bit where they, you, like you pretend all hope is lost. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like the the the, the part of the story we were like, oh shit, looks bad now. Right. Well, yes, but but, but I mean cynical just in the sense of things look like they're priced at four ninety nine and there's a bunch of pinup pages, but it's okay because oh, sure. they figured out a way to work it into the story. And I just sort sure, of feel no, like no, that's I, I, like I understand that. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's kind of where I'm going for is this I'm not really sure for me that that um like I said I feel I feel like King is I'm not sure I'm not sure I really trust King I guess and and this is a thing that comes back to um in our conversations I yeah, there's no, stuff no, it, here it, that it's feels one hundred percent. Yeah. I, I trust King much more than you do. Yeah. And because of that, like I'm willing to be like, well in my fan fiction version story, everything ends up in a surprising manner, Jeff, and you're gonna eat your words. Oh. And you're like, Well No, but you know I mean like that's utter as a as a an argument, that's mm-hmm. a ludicrous Right. Because literally you mean like in my dream version of the story. <laughs> well, <laughs> Do you know like that's crazy. That's like sure. me saying like uh, another comic we talked about in email was like I was like you know I think Avengers isn't very good and you you were liking Avengers and it's akin to me being like I think Avengers is really slipping and it's like it feels like filler and it feels like Storm and Fury and nothing's actually happening and, and you've been like but just wait in my imagined version of issue six right. there's going to be a reveal though and and it's you know. It's it's you, although no in the that. email I did not like Avenger I did, I did no not no like I, I know I know I was just I was yeah, thinking yeah. I was basically trying right, to point trying out to like extrapolate how something could, well no no yeah, no, 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 no. right the, right in my imagined version right you know yeah. is is ridiculous right but, well and just out of curiosity but Graham, to, to me trusting King more than you do I think I do remember when I got to the end of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen Century and I thought that the wrap up was pretty satisfying despite not liking all the other pieces and you were kind of like well yeah but how much of a sort of like how much investment do you have to have in a story you know before it's irredeemable you know you were kind of like you didn't like the three parts but the fourth part was good does that mean that it's a good story or does it just mean well no and and, and that but and i think that's entirely valid yeah you know like I, i think that's true Mm-hmm. But for, I guess what I'm saying is, like, for me, I'm still enjoying the story. Sure. And I think it's going to end somewhere that I will find satisfying. Right. So, like, it would be like, for example, if you thought all three parts of Century were great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. You know? Exactly. You've been enjoying this this whole run all along, which, again, yeah, I and, just and, find and surprising. I, I, can, I can see why. Mm-hmm. But, I, but, again, part of it's surprising for me is... 
I always feel like you should like it more. <laughs> no, but it, 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 it like I I know now not to. Mm-hmm. But there's continually parts where I'm like I I am always surprised that you like you don't like this more. And I I can think about like you know again multiple fan fiction reasons why that might be why that is true. Mm-hmm. But but as as surprised as you are that I like it as much, I am as surprised that you don't like it mm-hmm. so much. Right. Yeah, no, I, I run super hot and cold on it. Maybe at the end of it, when it's all when it's all said and done, I'll be like, oh, okay, yeah, that worked for me and it was great, you know. But it's it's a rocky road because, of course, like I said, for me, there's bits and pieces that I really like a lot. Um, but I also feel like I don't know. I feel like King might be like again, you know. It's that weird. It's it's weird within the context of issue fifty. Like there's a scene where they're be- beating up Kite Man, and I was like, Ugh, really? And then there's a scene where they end up in, <laughs> you know, uh, the the basically Porky's bar from the yeah yeah Batman. exactly. And it, I was it, like, it, hey, it, yeah, you know, I thought that was fabulous. I'm like, wow, you know. And of course, there's but, times, but it's, yeah. But it's also like you know the the end, the final panel in the issue. Is the oh everything has been a plot up until now, like everything. Flashpoint Batman is there, Skeets is there. Yeah, like how the fuck that is true? I genuinely can't work out. Yeah, I mean that's particularly Flashpoint Batman. Right. Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, that's where I looked at and, it, and, and I'm so, like, nah, don't believe. You know, I mean that's it. Well, well, that's I, just, it. Just, yeah. and, and 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 but it is a uh, um because I've been enjoying the ride. I'm like. What the fuck does that mean? That makes no sense. I'm looking forward to seeing how he explains it. Yeah. But for you, who's not been enjoying it, you're like, well, like the the confidence I, that is already shaky mm-hmm. is is even more shaky now because this is ridiculous. Yeah. We both go at it at the well. That just makes no sense. Right. But, but you're but, but you're like I'm intrigued from. exactly. Yes, and I'm very much. You come in from. The, mm-hmm. You're you're like huh? and you're like no. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 And, I really do feel like depending on. on Depending on how you characterize it, uh, King's Batman run has been one long string of me either failing my saving throw uh, or making my saving throw, you know, whether it, depending on whether it's disbelief or illusion. But I'm just like, yeah, ugh, ugh, no. Ugh. So, yeah, it was, it, again, I just, I really had that thing of I put it down and, and just reading some of the letters and the things where it's like about the sixth time where each of them is talking about each other's eyes with just minor variations and how they characterize it that are so importantly, you know, distinctive of their differences. I was just like, ugh, I just can't. I just, it oh, literally no, see, was. Like, I, like I said, that those, like, I totally fell for this. Oof. Like, I really, really did. Mm-hmm. Bear in mind, I'm also the one who liked Jeff Loeb's Superman Batman right up until the last little arc. So. Well, yeah, but no, but I mean, there's but, kind of a thing of Superman Batman is as much as it drives me, as as much as the shit that that Loeb does in there is ridiculous. It's a it's a fun comic, you know what I mean? And I and I and part of me is kind of like Loeb doing his best to run a trope into a into the ground that he he comes up with as the trope that that'll tie the narrative together kind of thing is like 
you know, just because he did it in a meat-headed way didn't, A, mean that it didn't necessarily, you know, it worked to, to an extent. And also, again, it's a comic book where they're climbing into a giant, you know, composite Superman, Batman robot to go punch Luther's <laughs> giant robot. You know what I mean? And then the next issue's got a commanding cameo. There's just so much ridiculousness embodied in that run that it's very easy to be like, well, it's just a dumb, fun comic. But I yeah. think there is that idea of like looking at this comic, which had various fun moments, which I enjoyed. But generally, again, I was just like, no, 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 no. So anyway, I, I will. I was going to give you this, but this like I'm not even sure this really goes towards your point. Right. King is a writer who like is wildly uneven in tone. Mm hmm. Like, within the same issue as Wiley and even Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm really curious what's going to happen when he... I, I think Mr. Miracle is the most consistent book he's written. Mm-hmm. Um, but his Batman, in particular, is does go from, like, you know, here is the, the deeply emotional stuff that you're, I guess, supposed to take seriously. Right. Uh but then on the next page, here's Kite Man. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, here's... Or like, when the comic fucking started, here's Batman riding a plane into the water mm-hmm. by standing on top of it with reins. Mm-hmm. And it, I get the feeling that King is like, no, Batman can withstand all of this because Batman is such a strong character. And that might be true, but if I were not so... Uh, forgiving of, mm-hmm. if I was not enjoying the, this, the writing so much if I was not enjoying the emotional arc of this so much if I was not enjoying the, the tricks you know like, like I, I appreciated the, the final panel of 50 mm-hmm. I did I was like oh like you're playing a trick sure I want to see where this goes mm-hmm. uh, but I guess what I was saying like if I'm not enjoying it so much and I was not as forgiving mm-hmm. I think things like how uneven the writing can be mm-hmm. in terms of tone mm-hmm. would, would stand out a lot more mm-hmm uh, so yeah, I, I think like I I I see a lot of your problems mm-hmm. with King overall and with King's Batman in particular. Mm-hmm. But it's like I'm still enjoying it so much that I'm like I'm willing to forgive that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm super curious what happens with Heroes in Crisis because as I've said before, right. I think I'm I'm either going to love it or I'm going to hate it, and yeah. I think that might be the book that like breaks my King fandom. Yeah, and I I, I have to admit there's. Part of me that is is a little worried about that. I mean, for you and I think generally. <laughs> why? Why for me? Like the word, I Like I've survived identity crisis, Jeff. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, yeah, but, you, like, you, you can, survived identity talking. crisis, but not for how do I put it? Like you were, you know, I, you didn't I, really I become exactly, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, apart yeah, from his conspiracy but, but, theory TV show, like it you was know. after. Remember? Yes, that was no, after. I know that's my thing. Is is like, uh, yeah. So, I, <laughs> I I just I don't I and so I think there is that. That's like sure, Brad Meltzer. That's not gonna fuck you up. But I can again. But why? Why would it? Like I don't see why it would fuck me up. Well, I mean, I, I, fuck no, you up. I don't mean that's gonna fuck you up. No, I but this mean. is like an exceptionally cynical point of view. But like all your creative loves 
like discipline you at some point, right? Well, there, I think there's levels, and I also think that, and I guess the thing is, is that maybe that's that's it. Is is like you're very much in king it when you're in an art in the tank for an artist uh and then they disappoint you like maybe you move to like you're no longer in the deep end of the pool but you're not necessarily out of the pool where i'm oh like, sure oh, yeah God, like i'm, I'm still somewhere in the pool, for Morrison, the pool despite yeah. everything morrison's done yeah right you know but but i for me i can really see you know part of me is like oh god like if Heroes in Crisis comes out and it's so obviously cynical and and calculated, exactly. it's horribly turgid. <laughs> yeah, turgid and 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 calculated, but also cynical in a way that you're like, oh, oh, like kind of this thing of like, oh, he really doesn't give a shit about any of this stuff other than, you know, how do I put it? Like Tom Tom King as Tom King, you know, like. Mm-hmm hell yeah you know what i mean like i don't think that that's uh and and at that point you just i mean part of it of course is you're like eh, i'm just getting all these comics for free it doesn't really matter for me but i mean i feel like well, no, but it's, but, like, it's funny because you mm-hmm. say that but when you're talking about like you know batman 50s for part of me did flash on the i like i got a pdf right do you know what i mean like i literally paid no money for that comic right and and, and that is a uh, and that really does impact the reading as well mm-hmm um, getting back to Avengers for a second, like that's uh three ninety nine, four ninety nine comic, however right, much it is. Right. Um and I am avidly aware of how little entertainment I'm getting for my money on that comic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. in a way that I'm just not on Batman mm-hmm. because I'm not paying for Batman. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, no, I and I think I think that is I think that's that is some a little bit of a thing that you sort of people it's always hard, but I, I have to say that it's in this industry, I think that it is something that really does can make a lot of difference. We, and people spend a lot of time talking about it, I think almost to the detriment of people who are like, oh, yeah, they, these comics should all be a quarter again or a dollar again or, you know, whatever the hell they're they're saying. Um I just think that there's ways in which, yeah, the whole the whole bang for the buck, you're buying something that's later going to be read in collection, and the way those things happen, and the way that everyone swears up and down that they try and make sure that they deliver enough of a something to make the issue worthwhile, and blah diddy yada you know. But I do think that, yeah, if you had paid the, uh, fuck, I mean. You know, this is it's, it's five dollars, right? Right. This this I think is four ninety nine. But I was trying to think what the average price was. Batman Rebirth started off at two ninety nine. Right? It's. It, I want to say. I want to say it's got to be three ninety nine now. But it, it has been three ninety nine. Like I think they upped it. So. Part um, of me let was let, say, let yeah. me take a look. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Batman fifty is four ninety nine. Right. But let's see how much Batman fifty one is. Yeah, I feel like they moved it to three ninety nine. Um, I don't know. I feel like I feel like they must have ten issues back or so, but who knows? Come on, Comicsology, tell me how much everything is. Bum 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 bum. It looks like it's still it's three ninety nine as of next month. Oh, okay, so it's been two ninety nine up till now. It's been two ninety nine up till now. Right. So so basically, the person who spent. You know, let's say a hundred and fifty dollars by the time that Batman issue fifty rolls out, you know, is again there's that idea of like 
if you're on the fence like I am, I mean, I, I'm not, it's not like I'm going to be, you know, like, ah, I was burned, you know, but, well, yeah, but I can part see where me, other part people of me is also like, be. like, if you're 50 issues in, like, I, I, I can't, I can't understand the, why are you still paying for this 50 issues in? Mm-hmm. Like the idea that you will fifty issues in be like, I've just realized I've wasted hundred fifty dollars <laughs> seems insane to me because it's fifty issues. Yeah. yeah Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like I can understand giving it like you know even a year, mm-hmm. like even twelve issues. Right. But fifty issues. Well, which is only which is two years of a book. Oh, sure. I, but when I said a year, I meant twelve issues. I sure. was really thinking instead of like ten, twelve issues. Right. right. You know, because honestly, I think if it takes you twenty four issues to decide you don't like a comic. You're, you know, you must have enjoyed some of it. Otherwise, yes. you have a too much money, or you're a masochist. Eh, you know, a little of, for me, a little column A, a little column B, <laughs> certainly, Man, no, no, and a little bit of column C. Really, no, there is a how, little how bit many, of. Yeah. How many comics do you read? Fifty issues of that you don't like. Like for I, I just go come to as a life is too short. Like there's things I want to read. Sure, sure. No, how would I you agree. Read? Yeah. 50 issues of something you don't like. Well, I mean, A, I think that is the, the grand question haunting the American comics industry. And B, I, I say there are, there's ways, personally, I think that someone could be like, if you're intrigued enough by King's question and you want to keep reading, like, I can see where the idea might depend on how well, how satisfactorily he answers that question. You know, mm-hmm. and I can see where someone was like, it wasn't worth it to me up until the last piece or that last piece ruined everything for me. If you're on it, I mean, clearly, like I said, there's parts about King's Batman run that I've enjoyed and enjoyed a lot. And the art is great. And it's so part of me is kind of like, yeah, this is worth continuing to to you know i also kind of have a thing of like i don't think that i'm ultimately going to be happy with it but i mean you know i the, the problem I, is, is i honestly can't believe you're still reading it yes for, for exactly for exactly the reason we're talking about yeah yeah, yeah because yeah. i think you're so like i don't think i would like it and part of me is like jeff you have hoopla why don't you just stop reading it like stop buying it out and then read it for free on hoopla when it's done you know th- it's a good question and i have to say that there is something where it's like eh, i subscribed to it back when it was i don't know at whatever point that i did and then i got behind and now i'm uh, up to date so i'd have to do the classic like well i could quit my subscription and then wait for whatever it is the six months to a year and then and then read it in trades absolutely i feel like there's other stuff that i could do that with or don't but um, I don't know. I mean, again, part of me is like, there's stuff that I enjoy enough where, you know, where it's kind of like, this is the parts that I do like, I like a lot, which I feel like I'd never get quite enough credit for. And the things that I really <laughs> don't Jeff, like. Congratulations on liking parts of the comic. Well, thank you, Graham. Thank you. Because you really do kind of have the like, oh, yeah, I won't understand if you're such a rabid, like, I'm, and I'm no, always. No, it's, no, it's, no, but it's, it's not that I'm like, why are you a hater on buying this comic? Yeah. I'm literally saying, if you don't really like it, why are you buying this comic? Well, and again, part of me is like, uh, the parts that I do like, I like a lot. The parts that I okay. don't like, I don't like a lot. But I think that <laughs> there's something to be said for 
you know, stuff that agitates you can be, can, you know, can be sort of worthwhile, especially because it's, it's such low stakes levels of frustration. You know what I mean? Like, I'm never going to, oh, shit. I was just like, oh, my God, I totally have to start the GoFundMe to, you know, redo these first 50 issues of King's Batman, right? Like, I've got to totally try (laughs) and get my last, get a hold of that, remake the Last Last Jedi Jedi money. Yeah, yeah, you know. I mean, that's the thing. Is it's like you totally could just by re-dialoguing it in Photoshop. We'll see. It's going to be much cheaper than remaking the Last Jedi. No, no, I'm still going to need millions of dollars to get this accomplished. Exactly, I still need 200 million. Yeah, I I need to, because that way DC will know that I'm serious about it, you know. So yeah, no, it's um, but that's my thing. Is is part of me at the end of the day, I'm like, eh, you know, like, eh. I, part of me is like, the, the thing that's so ridiculous about the Last Jedi and the other stuff is, is like, again, unless I view it through this lens of people are fighting fronts on the pop culture wars so uh virulently because they are completely and utterly terrified to participate in the real world and be shown how powerless they might actually be. Um, Apart from that, part of me is like, who gives a crap? You know what I mean? Like, kind of that thing of, like, I mean, especially now, I mean, in the age of, like, looking at the Star Wars movies, part of me is like, doesn't it seem like if you don't like that Star Wars movie, there'll be another Star Wars movie that's going to come along sort of to your taste at some point? You know, like, I don't know. It just doesn't. So part of me is like, yeah, Batman, like, eh. it, you know, we're halfway through King's run. And at some point it'll be over, you know, and at that point I'll be like, oh, it was great. Or oh, it sucked. Or it'll be like knowing me, we'll be talking about it five years after the fact. And every time that I mention it fondly, you'll be like, Jeff, you hated that run. And I'm like, eh, it had its things. No, no, I don't think you thought so at the time. No, I remember I like the I like the Kite Man stuff. You hated the Kite Man stuff by the end. You actually, don't you remember the podcast where you literally set your iPad on fire after reading Batman 86? I'm like, yeah, I don't really remember that. I think it was an accident. Didn't I just spill something on? No, Jeff, you set it on fire deliberately. I'm like, well, anyway, Graham, I read some really interesting Steve Inglehart comics the other day. You know what I mean? And that's just <laughs> going to be the way that it goes. That's, uh, we Jeff, all Jeff. know the arc of this history. Yes. Can I talk about a comic I hated this week? Please. Death of the Inhumans issue one. Oh, yeah, you did hate it. I almost thought about buying it so that I could read nope. it and then. Nope. Jeff, I wouldn't put you through that. Because, again, it's 4 99 Right. Um, <laughs> Death of the Inhumans is... When it was announced, uh, many people, myself included, mm-hmm. thought that sounds like an amazingly cynical way of writing out the Inhumans and trying to basically make some quick bucks off of killing them all off after the franchise has died. Like, it's five years since they announced that it was going to be the hot new thing. It's going to change the Marvel Universe forever. The readers didn't go for it, and now they're trying to basically milk every last bit of money out of this before they, they put it to sleep for a while. Imagine my surprise when the comic actually reads like that. You know, well, so here's my thing, Graham, is I'm kind of curious, is does doesn't does that approach not really make any sense? You know what it's I mean? What, 
No, I don't. Explain. Uh, I mean, like, if there's a bunch of characters that you don't care about when they live, why would you care about them when they're dead? You know what I mean? Like, because I just death sells. Like that, it's it's does it's, it? It's that it's that cynical. And you want to know who dies? Except, I mean, that's the other thing about this. There's something about the way that this comic is written mm-hmm. uh, that, for some reason, really weirdly underscores that all of this is meaningless. Mm-hmm. And I can't explain it except for. The first character they kill is Lockjaw. And if there was ever a character whose death is not going to stick, right. it's the fucking dog. Right. Right. But it's also the death you do first to pretend that this is really serious shit. Mm-hmm. Completely. Completely. Like, it really underscores how cynically this is put together. Mm-hmm. And also how meaningless the entire thing is. And it's just... Someone on, on Twitter... Uh, likened it to a Wikipedia entry that had basically become sentient and and <laughs> and that's pretty much what it reads like. Wait, sorry, a Wikipedia entry that became sentient and what? Evil. <laughs> okay, that's really funny. That is really really funny. Uh, and that's what it reads like. Wow. It also reads like uh, Donny Cates, who's writing it, might not have read like. The, the Inhumans comics that they just finished that people liked mm-hmm. like the the Styles of Damage Christian Ward's uh, Black Bolts and, and Al Ewing's Royals uh-huh. it kind of reads like he didn't read those <laughs> <laughs> um, it's 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 such a weird a weirdly temporary comic mm-hmm. that nonetheless is like no but I've got to be important I'm killing people right do you know what I mean it's like did you read Death of X when it came out, no, the the like the, it was the prelude to resurrection. It was prelude to to like relaunching the books, mm-hmm. and it starts off with like, oh shit, it's really serious. They've killed off multiple man, <laughs> right? And it's like that. Like this is killing off multiple man. And bear in mind, multiple man literally just launched a new series mm-hmm. less than two years after after Death of X came out. Mm-hmm. Because that's the way these things work now. Yeah. And so it's like, why would anyone care about this comic? Mm-hmm. This comic doesn't even feel like it's being cared about by the people making the comic. Right. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I, I mean, part of me is kind of like, yeah, I, I, like you said, it's amazing that it is exactly as cynical as you thought that it would be. But I think really, in a way, it's sort of, it's a miracle that, all comics, I guess, aren't like that. You know what I mean? Like, of course, part of me is like, oh yeah, Marvel's Death of the Inhumans. I just feel like there's a weird way in which, uh, I don't know. Like, Marvel's whole handling of the Inhumans has been cynical from top to bottom. I mean, like... Oh, God, yes. You know what I mean? Should I remember the whole, like, it's Game of Thrones in the Marvel Universe. Mad Fraction has come up with a great idea. Only joking, he's fired off the book. Charles Sewell has come up with a great idea in the three weeks since he's taken the book. Yeah. No, no, no. no. I mean, and and of course, you point out, like, Fraction was gone after issue two. And and his, his opening gambit is killing off Karnak, right? So... So right off the bat, it's 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 all it's all cynicism and death. So the at, at the beginning of things, so the whole idea that it then at the end of it is all cynicism and death at the end of it, it's like uh, it's fine. And again, like you said, it's like it's IP. Those characters are gonna are gonna stick around. They'll come back in some other way in some other permutation. And um, 
Well, I like, would... there's something about the first issue that just makes you think, oh, they're back by the end of the series. Mm-hmm. Right. They might Do you know what I mean? Sure. Right. <laughs> like, literally, the end of the series is like, the new humans are born. <laughs> this time, Lockjaw is a puppy. <laughs> He's going to cutely teleport everyone. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe. I can, uh, you know, like, God knows. I remember the whole, like, few... Fear itself in the Fear itself follow-up was like just kidding. Fear itself the aftermath, you know. No, but that's true. They were like Thor is dead. Ned's about Thor returns. Yeah, exactly. It was like, no, like oh, not how? Bucky. No, no, not Bucky. Don't worry about it. Yeah, no, it's fine. Like literally. I, yeah. Every time you bring that up, I always remember the interviews where Tom Brevard or Matt Fraction are like, no, the entire thing is everyone knows the comeback, so it's a subtle commentary on that. And it was like, nope, no, right. Nope, not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, exactly. So part of me is kind of like, yeah, I don't, uh, it's just, it's, it's the, I had mixed feelings about Man of Steel 6, Graham. I think we should talk a little bit about Man of Steel 6 as please, well. Please tell me, why do you have mixed feelings? Well, because on the one hand, I thought that, uh, by the time you get to the end of the book, it's like, oh, there's there's sort of like here's how the status quo the new status quo is in place you know and i thought that that was good and i also again like the way that uh bendis's characterizations of just about everyone were really strong and enjoyable like like i'm like oh i like this little scene like i like this I like this bit with Clark and Lois. I like this bit with Clark and John. Oh, I like, you know, that they come up, they come up with a, a way to get rid of Rogan, Zargar, Hugo, Nagatsch, you know. Um, but, but also at the same time, I'm like, man, fucking Bendis. Like that dude. That dude, I gotta tell you, I am just stunned. I, I'm impressed that a guy who is such a huge name in the comic book industry is so sloppy and first drafty with his stuff. Like, it is, it is amazing to me. Like, just the fact that the whole issue has, you know, it's like this, this guy who, of course, keeps like, I don't know. You know, it's like has Superman at his mercy, but then runs off because he's a tactician, whatever the fuck that means. And then there's this big fight scene with him and Superman, and it basically gets resolved by Kara showing up. Again, full spoilers, everyone. This is our full spoiler episode with the Phantom Zone projector and knocking the dude into the Phantom Zone. And I'm like, oh. And then I was like, why did Kara have to do that? You know what I mean? Like, and I because know because Superman's off his game. Ugh. Because the entire the entire series is Superman is actually really fucked up because Lois and John are gone, and that's that's the that's the inciting incident for for Ben's run, not uh, the uh, the fucking whatever his name is. Ro- Rogalzar is that his name? I honestly don't it's remember. really close. It is like Rogalzargash um, or whatever. Uh, but no, that's like the 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 entire thing is Superman looks like Superman and he's trying to do Superman stuff. And he's trying to be Superman, but he's really fucked up because Lois and John are gone. Mm-hmm. And and then he's really fucked up because 
the destruction of the fortress means that there's no he can't talk to them anymore either. Mm-hmm. He can't get in contact. Right. So uh, he's just like he's just off his game. Yeah, didn't work for me. Didn't didn't did did not work. I think I I see I see your point, but I, at for whatever point for all the various other reasons I'm like yeah, maybe maybe that's it. it well, no, but that but that thing like if it doesn't land, it doesn't land. Do you well, know what no, I mean? like, but that could be you, you can I'm being... if you can talk the way, but no, but if you can talk all the way through it and you're like, sure, I guess, but it didn't land, mm-hmm. then it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like I like it. I I understood it, or that's my understanding of it. Well, and no, it which I think is after. good, and and one would say that unless I missed it, which is quite likely, I didn't feel like there was. Um, you're absolutely right in that's the way that Superman sees himself and narrates that as uh, very much in the issues leading up to it. But, yeah, I just... Ugh. Well, anyway, uh, honestly, part of me also was really annoyed that event, that it took me, like, four issues to realize that Rogan Czar... What the fuck is that guy's name? I gotta look it up. We are actually gonna have to look it up, aren't we? Rogal, <laughs> Rogal Czar... Uh, or Zare, Rogel Zare is um, uh, it it's he's got he's got Arcane's head on him. You know what I mean from Alan Moore's Swamp Thing run. You know how <laughs> Anton Arcane becomes like that. I, 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 I yes, I that didn't occur to me at all, Jeff. <laughs> okay, but you do see what I'm saying, right? I'm kind of like oh, that's not even really subtle at this point. They just I, sort I of guess. yeah, dude. All right. Well, I'll have to find since I no, like like literally. I'm, I'm looking it up right now. Mm-hmm. But you know what I'm saying? Like during Moore's run, when like Arcane becomes way more um, insectile, and he kind of gets that like he 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 basically develops the bald head and the the weird weird eye mismatched eyes, and then the big um, hair lip razor teeth thing. I, I'm trying. I'm honestly trying to find an image right here, and utterly failing. Yeah, it makes sense. The internet is not being kind to me for this. All right, wait, hold on. Let's, let's see if I. Can. And really, I'm just looking for something that looks like Rogel's are. <laughs> yeah, there, there you go. Yes. Okay, I think I. Yeah, I think I've got it. I think I found him. I mean, sure. Honestly, Rogel's are looks to me more like Swamp Thing with teeth. Well, so yeah. I guess that connects there. Oh, okay. Hold on. Let's see. Let's see if you've got. Okay, so here's a piece. Just this was my very first, um, first result on my first Google. Wait, search. are are you are you sending it to me right now? No, but via Gmail because I I know I should okay. do it via the um, Skype. No, no, no. Send, send it to me this way, and I will I will look at it and see if I'm I'm convinced. Anyway, your point is what that you think they're copying it? Oh or... no, 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 I just found it really, really I I just found it distractingly derivative. But yeah, so whatever whatever's going on there, it it baffled I mean... me. There's, it's it's not like he's the most unique uh, looking villain in the world. Well, yeah, exactly. So that's probably not a problem. Uh, I I don't know, man. I just I ultimately we'll see where it goes. We'll see where it goes. Like uh, on the one hand, I, I, really, I enjoy. Yeah. Oh, wait, yeah. hang on. It's just come through. Yeah. Uh, let's see. After. Uh, <laughs> No, because he just looks like Swamp Thing with a bad eye and teeth, too. Well, no, like, exactly. Yeah, sure, exactly. But, I mean, that's the thing. He looks more like, like once you take the, the bad eye and teeth thing yes? and you move it over. Oh, my God. Sure. 
Oh my god. I, I, I like it. Yeah, but Jeff, bear in mind, like, I have no great love for Alan or something. I read it like two or three times. Mm-hmm. So it's not something that came into head. So when you're like, don't they look alike? I'm like, okay. Yeah, I know. I know. But then yes, you're kind of like, no, it looks more like Swamp Thing. And I'm like, yes, Arcane's supposed to look like Swamp Thing. That's the whole point, Graham. You totally missed the whole idea of the fact that he's like his love opponent. Oh, my God. So, anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. If this episode is called Love Opponent, then... I, I think it has to be. I think it absolutely has to be called Love Opponents. So, um, yeah. So, anyway, I, honestly, I'll tell you I'll tell you candidly. I do think that I enjoyed Bendis' Man of Steel more than I enjoyed John Byrne's Man of Steel. So, I will say that. That's, if, that's something. Yeah. Maybe. I, well, not really. I, I got to admit, the first couple of you issues get, of Man of You didn't get, like, a Batman team up in issue three. That was that, that was a problem. Well, he does. Uh, he makes, Batman makes what? a cameo in issue two, right? Like, the whole I fire. Know, it's, not, it's not the same. There's no magpie. They don't team up and go, maybe in a different reality, I might have called that man friend. Well, yeah. There's not exactly. a No, no, no. There totally isn't. But it is very much a like, oh I'm, yeah, I, here's cameos, here's Superman and how he's seen in the. He, it's the same sort of here's Superman, here's how he's seen in the DC universe, and here's what here's what I'm doing to adjust his status quo therein, you know, mm-hmm. and and kind of. So in that regard, I was kind of like, yeah, but I don't know. We'll we'll have to see. We'll have to see. I mean, I just basically was I I made it through a bunch of DC books, like I bought a bunch of DC books this week, and I think the only one that really fried my burger was Catwoman number one by Joel Jones, which uh which I just thought was so goddamn lovely looking. It was it yes, was right. You know, that was it, it, was, it was like a well, this, this is just a great comic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So so. You know that was that was that was what worked for me. And then of course I want to say that on the Marvel front, I you know we should both mention that uh, Avengers number four. Of course we were both kind of definitively nonplussed by. That being said, Immortal Hulk number issue number two was fabulous. So right, yeah. Immortal Hulk is is a, a really good comic, and you. Right, compared to with Wrath of the Spectre, right? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is a very—I'm not sure it plays for issue one, but issue two definitely feels like a, a Spectre story. Exactly. The ending, the like ending of issue story. two was like, holy shit! Yeah, that's like that really rang the the Fleischer or Perro Spectre chimes. Uh, it was, and I love the the um, I love the super subtle drop of the larger mythology that Ewing works in, in one fucking line of this comic. Yeah, right. Uh, about the, the the person below. When the, when the, the kid gets gets his first gamma treatment, and just before he dies. Mm-hmm. It, there was the what the fuck is that? It Like the Batman thing for me. What the fuck is that? Yeah. Like, I don't know what that is, but I really want to know. Well, see, that's it. The person below in the green door, it's kind of, because yeah. we saw that Ewing had dropped a reference to the green door I was kind of like, oh, okay, this is, this, and I did have this thing of like, this is going to go somewhere. This does have a larger, uh, pointing to a larger underpinning, which I think is also a a really good, strong idea because, in the sense of, because mm, there is that thing of like, you know, two was great, but it's that idea of like, well, surely he's not going to do another ten issues of this. And just the fact that he seeds something in that suggests that, no, 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 this is going to, 
that, that there's a larger dynamic dynamic and framework that's going to be in place and explored is is great. There's a uh, an interview with oh god I can't remember what the name of the podcast is. Al Ewing did an interview with a podcast and I honestly can't remember what it's called mm-hmm. uh, this week where he's talking about Immortal Hulk mm-hmm. and it's, it's predominantly a, a podcast about Immortal Hulk mm-hmm. and he he basically drops that in there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that that like that it's not that where the book goes is significantly stranger than where it starts yeah yeah and that is, that is that basically he handed in a, uh the pitch for the series and the feedback was no make no do more mm-hmm. push it push it somewhere else and he was like yeah by the time you get to like issue five mm-hmm. it's a significant stranger comic yeah yeah, I I I I'm, very I'm, much like, believe I, that. I'm totally there for that. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's like, yes, I want to see where this goes when it gets creepier. Because issue two was creepy as shit. Yes, no, it really is. Issue two was really, really creepy. Yeah, yeah. And and I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it, it really worked for me in, in a way that you know, I, I there's so many other Marvel comics don't these mm-hmm. days. Mm-hmm. But but I thought that it it really really worked. Yeah. I think so as well. So talking about Marvel books. Yes. What did you think of Tanahasi Coates' first cut in America? Uh well, I gotta tell you, Graham, at first I wasn't gonna buy it. And then I was kinda like, Oh, I should buy it so we can talk about it on the podcast and uh, you know, I had started reading Coates' Black Panther and it's something that I keep meaning to come back to because I thought the first couple of issues were not really uh mm. I, I thought they were kind of ponderous. Basically, so yeah. I'm like, okay, well, you know, he's he's been writing comics for a couple of years now. You know, there was some sort of rumors behind the scenes about this one that I wasn't entirely sure about, but uh, I was like, okay, like also the fact that that Coates had made it a point to write such a mission statement about the book, I was like, okay, it it seems to me that he, I have enough faith in Coates. The, the idea that if he says that he's really taking this seriously and the idea of writing Captain America and writing sort of the Captain America um, and what, you know, I mean, Coates writing about what America should be or is or could be, I thought would be, I figured it'd be worth a go. I thought that the, uh, I thought the book was kind of a mess. I thought that uh, Lino Francis, you made some really, as I find sometimes with you, made some really bad storytelling choices that I thought hampered my enjoyment of the book. Like the, one of the early scenes where it's Cap versus the squadron of Nuka-likes suffers tremendously from um, not really being able to define how many characters Cap is up against and why, you know. So... Uh, so I was like, huh, uh, that was a very long issue that was incredibly ponderous and dull. And honestly, as someone who has still only read like the first few issues of Secret Empire, I was like, huh, so they're going to lean into, I guess, I guess it makes sense that they're going to be like, yes, we really have to deal with the, the fallout of Secret Empire. And part of me is like, is that a good idea? Cause I was reading <laughs> it being like, you know, in a way, part of me is like, uh, like, I don't know how to describe it. Like, normally, I would feel back in the day, part of me is like, yes, one of the things that's important when, you know, comic book 
writers or artists, when a new creative team comes on, is, is they try and figure out ways to handle what the old team has left behind has for them. Yeah. 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 And so part of me is like, oh, I should respect that. But I have to say, like, one of the smartest things that Ed Brubaker's run on Captain America did was really totally ignore the 20 or so some odd issues that came before it by people like Chuck Austin and... Uh, uh, gosh, the Books of Magic guy. Um, uh, John Niederreiber. Yes, thank you. I knew that I was going to screw that name up, so thank you for coming in there. Where it's, it was like there was stuff in Brubaker's run that was actually similar enough that I was kind of like, did you read this stuff? Like, you know, and Brubaker was like, oh, hell no, of course not. You know, and, and I think sometimes <laughs> but I mean, that's don't a forget, there was a There was like Kirkman did a run just before Brubaker. Right. Um it's Robert like Morales three issues, four issues. Yeah, Morales, like it's three, four, five issues of stuff that was all kind of junky. You know what I mean? And no offense to them. They were all Mor- trying to Morales figure out a way to... Re- revisit Morales' run. Ugh, really? No, really, seriously. All right. There's, there's, there's golden down their hills, Jeff. Okay, I will, I will take your, I'll take your word for it and hunt them up on Marvel Unlimited. Uh, so yeah, part of me is kind of like, Okay, so here's, you know, kind of like, here's everything that's set up, and it's kind of like it opens with a bravura action set piece that I did not find especially bravura. Um, There was, yeah, I just, basically I was kind of like, huh, that was disappointing and sucky, and um, did you feel differently? No, I'm really glad you're saying all of that, because I thought it was a surprisingly dull, underwhelming first issue, and I've seen so many people be like, this is so exciting, and I was like, I've read a fucking different comic from you guys. Yeah. This is, this feels like a misfire. Like, I I can see this book being good four issues in, Mm -hmm. but this issue feels super badly paced. It feels like it nothing is happening beyond characters are going, I will do something later. I will also do something later. Mm-hmm. Just wait until issue three, then I'll do something. Right. And I was like, this is, this is bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I felt, I felt like there were lots of little, uh, yeah, I thought there were, there were, there was a lot, there was a lot of stuff in there that I'm kind of like, eh. I mean, again, and this could be, cause I remember with Coates where, his first two issues of Black Panther was, I was like, oh, I see what he's doing, you know, and what he's doing in theory is interesting, but in execution, it's just kind of dull, you know, like it's... Well, I, I honestly think, like, down the line, it could be great. Mm-hmm. I guess, I mean, sure. but But this was like this... There's no real story in this first issue. It's literally people saying, give like... Here we are. We are the characters. Right. In future, we will do something. Give us some time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, and I am actually with you along, also along the. Do you really want to revisit Secret Empire, especially because there's been a whole Mark Wade run in between Secret Empire and this. Right. Where Mark Wade's like, just gotta clear. Oh, sorry, Captain America's like, just gotta clear my head. <laughs> just gonna drive around America and clear my head. And then all of a sudden, we're supposed to think he's like, wait. I'm still really hurt about Secret Empire. Right. I know that happened a year ago, but I haven't been able to stop thinking about it apart from those last eight issues. Right. 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 Well, and as someone who didn't pay any attention, part of me is like, oh, okay, maybe this is, you know, it's kind of that thing of, 
I don't know. You know, this is what they intended to be, you know, to oh, really this, follow this it. Is yeah. Clearly, mm-hmm. yeah, this is clearly what was meant to happen then. Yeah. It was, for whatever reason, delayed. Yeah. Like, so, that, that's blindingly obvious. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just, I, I just, uh, it, lots it, it, of it feels, like a, it feels like a misfire, yeah. yeah. Um, and we'll see where it goes. I think, in a way, it'll be, um, I don't know, I just hope that it doesn't end up being the, the, the lost opportunity that it really feels like it's going to end up being. Oh know? yeah, like, if it's not gotten its shit together by issue 6, I think that's going to be a real shame. Yeah. Because, because that's essentially going to be the end of the first trade. And if this doesn't have like a good first trade, mm-hmm. then it is a lost opportunity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like this, this would be fine as chapter one in the collection. Mm-hmm. As it is, it'll actually be chapter two because the comic book day special will be chapter one. But still, mm-hmm. like as a scene setting, sure. Mm-hmm. But something has to happen. Mm-hmm. And honestly, Celine as the villain seems super. Um, like somehow passing through so on the nose that it's back to being a bad idea. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? I like, don't. Here's here's the character who are like they're they're the true people running America, and one of them is a vampire who sucks the life out of people. <laughs> oh, I see. Right. right it's right. like oh shit, really? Right. Like mm-hmm. never mind the whole. It's a fucking vampire in a Captain America comic. Mm-hmm. Huh? Like, if you're doing the... Because the, the, the bad guys of the arc are going to be called the Power Elite. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be really running America. And for that to be led by a vampire... I'm down like, with it. I mean, hey, it worked uh, for this... Oh. It worked for, what, the second issue of Prez? The third issue of Prez? You know. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like... That- that's where the bar is? Okay. No, I mean, I seriously, I kind of have that thing of, like, uh, like I'm like, sure, if you want to do a story about, like, the power elite running America and, and one of them's a vampire, I'm like, that sounds great. Like, just don't make it boring. You know what I mean? Like, that's that idea of, like, you're going to do that and make it dull? Like, come on. Like, that's the I, thing. I, like, think you, I think you can do it if you're doing it in a... Uh, in a way that, in a model that Coates doesn't write in, mm-hmm. Coates is not that melodramatic a writer. Well, see, Coates is right. not that broader writer. Coates yeah. is not that dynamic a writer. Mm-hmm. If you're going to have ponderous, I'm going to, you know, have 20 narrative captions talking about how uncertain I feel about the direction of America, mm-hmm. you also can't be like, and by the way, my villain's a vampire who's representing the 1%. You know, like that's so on the nose that it's ridiculous. Well, yeah, I guess. I mean, I, 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 I don't know. I that that part where I'm like, yeah. I mean, my thing is, it was so goddamn dull. I forgot that that it was the vampire and that she was also part of the congressional hoo-ha or whatever. Like for me, I'm just sort of like, I. For me, it's just this idea of like, here's a dude who has written heartbreakingly well about America. You know, and here he is given an opportunity to essentially ex- to do the comic book variation on that. You know, I think that that is to me that's like should be tremendously exciting. But watching it get broken out in the way that it does, I'm like, Ugh. and like I said, I, again, I, part of it is I don't. I think that that there are ways in which if. Uh, 
you know, this had been drawn by, say, I don't know, Chris Sprouse or somebody, it would have had a different energy to it that would help, uh, like, they're leaning into the turgidness with use art. You know what I mean? And I just think that that's, that's really a mistake here, you know? Yeah. So, so yeah, I thought I, I really was impressed at what a, what a, what a slog it was. And yeah, I'm really stunned that anyone can look at that sucker and be like, yeah, that was great. I mean, I sort of get that there's bits and pieces in it where I feel like Coates makes a point to like have Captain America speak and he's very much trying to channel that sort of Englehart, Wade, Stern, like, here's Captain America, the man who, you know, there's that line that he says who's, like, not faithful to anything but the dream, you know, which is kind of, on the one hand, I think that that is, like, okay, that's that's a step in the right direction, you know, it's, it, you know, it sort of beats Nick Spencer's sort of, like, teehee, we thought we were going to give you Grunwald, and instead we're giving you, like, oh, so much more, you know. Um, I I just, you know, it's, ugh, yeah, pass. Hard pass, I think. But that being said, everyone, I'm sure, who's there going, well, sure, Jeff, but you just hate comics. I'm like, au contraire, <laughs> mon frere. Like, you don't hate comics. You love comics. I love comics, and let me tell you, I am so fucking thrilled that Comixology Originals... Um, People, if you Beck, have, yeah, Beck Mongolian yeah. Chop Squad, as well as Seven Shakespeare's, both by uh, Harold Sukushi, I am thrilled. Like, uh, Beck Mongolian Chop Squad was, like, one of my favorite uh, manga runs uh, back in, like, 2006, when uh, Tokyo Pop was... Um, printing it, reprinting it in English for, I think, the first time, if you ignore scanlations or whatever, and then managed to not, you know, ended up going out of business before they completed the run, which broke my heart in, like, pieces. Um, although part of what made it difficult was by the time they finally gave up on it, they were down to publishing, like, an issue, like, you know, every six months or something like that. So they managed to wean me off of it. But I was so thrilled that uh, that they announced that uh, Kodansha has partnered up with Amazon slash Comixology so that if you have a Comixology Unlimited account, you can read all four. You can you can what what's the what's the thing when binge watch you binge. can binge read 14 vol all 14 volumes at once. And I have to tell you, Graham. I'm up to volume seven, and I am <laughs> loving That's it. That's impressive. Sounds like two days ago, right? Yeah, yeah. I didn't find out about it until, was it Thursday? Maybe it was Friday morning that I found out. So. I want to say they just announced it like Wednesday or Thursday. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. good job. Yeah, yeah, You yeah. do love comics. I do. I do. And these are great comics. I really, for people who want to read, like, I don't know, because... Uh, Beck Mongolian Chop Squad for people who remember me uh, uh, talking about Fuka, like Fuka, I I liked through my memories of Beck Mongolian Chop Squad because it was very much like Nebishi Kid uh, basically ends up um, deciding to become part of a rock and roll band uh, in part because of his great um, unrequited love uh, and um, 
Beck really, oh my God, does all of that. But to me, like so much better in part because Sakushi is just a great, um, I really love how he draws people and culture. And even though this stuff was first published back in 2000, so it's not uh, young, you know what I mean? Like people are still running around like handing CDs back and forth. And it's it's definitely of an era and a different time. But, I mean, A, just the fact that I remember reading this series and rereading it is amazing to me how much, like, it's three or four volumes in before uh, Koyuki, the, the, the main hero, the Nebishi dude. Like, I think you even get a chance, like, there's little hints and pieces that he, he has an amazing singing voice, but you don't really get to even see him, like, step in front of a microphone for the first, until volume four. And he is playing the guitar. I just love how that it's like, it's like volume seven. He's like part of a band. The band has, you know, is, is sort of on its way to becoming successful. And he's like, shit, I am barely able to keep up with these people. And all you've seen is like six volumes of him more or less struggling to like, figure out more ways to practice a guitar, get his hands on a guitar or all of his various trials and tribulations. It's very, um, it's just deeply satisfying. It's kind of like a deeply, deeply satisfying version of, and this is good. People are going to just throw rocks at me, but in a way it kind of reminds me of karate kid, the movie, weirdly enough, uh, You know, because there's such I a thought, long period. That was period. a swear I did not. Yeah, I know. People were like, and this is where everyone realized Jeff's opinions were 100% untrustworthy. Um, you know, just in the sense of for for a movie called The Karate Kid, there's not necessarily a lot of karate in it, you know. And so the build up to it of like, oh, that training montage session thing was entertaining and enjoyable enough. And then once you realize, like, oh, okay, now it's really on, it's it's deeply satisfying. And, you know, one of the things that's satisfying about The Karate Kid is how that is an Amer- a very American interpretation of classic Shaw Brothers kung fu movies, you know, which used to all be like, okay, here here is a lot of training montages. Here are comically over-the-top training montages, you know, so that we can finally, when you get to the scene of him um, doing something, it really means something. And similarly in Beck, once his triumphs start to hit, man, they're great. Also, of course, because I'm me, I like, uh, there's lots of um, girls in swimsuits uh, throughout throughout the book, and I really i i enjoy i enjoy the way those are drawn. I have to admit. So I mean, there's so many ways in which it is the, um, you know, Graham. I can't necessarily recommend it for you because I think you'd be like, oh, but boy, I I love it. I also have to say that there's there are things that I find weird about this particular reprinting, um, in that. It drives me crazy that it's currently it's only available digitally. I don't even know if they're planning on I'm sure at some point they'll do an actual printed covers, but right now they're acting like this is digital only and it's exclusive through um, Comixology and Kindle Unlimited. So, you know, you could buy them or you can read them for free, but the reproduction is 
poor. Like I do not these 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 honest to God and unfortunately I don't have my volumes anymore, but it almost looks to me like somebody just scanned the old Tokyo pop volumes or something or that who knows maybe because this was back in you know this stuff was done back in 2000 maybe they didn't really do any digital files or these are like they're newly created anyway it looks the reproduction looks a little hinky to me and it drives me nuts that um this happens this happens a lot on comicsology and it drives me crazy that the, even though they have the whole thing set up for manga guided view they don't use it in the case of Beck so literally you're reading the you're reading the book from left to right in how you swipe through it but the panel layouts are all right to, right left. to left so that is that it it's this constant having to reach you know tr- eventually 30 pages in or whatever it it just it never it's never a smooth flow and it drives me crazy because it's just some sort of stupid oversight there's no reason for it that i can see other than they just didn't think that it was worthwhile otherwise but it's the kind of thing that you would never get um in the viz app you know um, mm-hmm. So it kind of that that sort of drives me crazy, and I haven't uh, even I've downloaded the first two volumes of Seven Shakespeare's, but needless to say, I have not even dove into it. But well, you're se- you're seven volumes into Beck. Yeah. <laughs> when did you even have the time to read anything else? It's totally true. Um, I love you're like I'm sorry, I've not read the other one as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, because I can't speak to it. It might be when we break that open, it's going to look. Like it, there, there'll be the same problems, or there are different. It'll be much better. But, um, but yeah. Oh my God, I just really enjoy. I also like the fact that since it's a slightly older uh, Shonen ser- it's series, or maybe it's even Sinan, You know, you get more. I don't know. There's a lot more swears or whatever. I don't know. It's just, and there's a lot of fucking around. There's, it's a good. You know, kids, j- teenagers just hanging out, fucking around comic that I feel that Tsukushi has such a really strong hand on. It's just a fun book to read. And the fact that there's fucking 14 volumes of it. Um, yeah, people get, you know, honestly, Comixology Unlimited is, is not, um, it's, you know, it's not as deep as Marvel Unlimited, of course, but it's, it's got a lot of stuff to it. It's kind of, um, it's it's definitely, I would recommend, if, if it sounds tantalizing to you at all, uh, I fully recommend just paying for the first month, reading the first 14 volumes of Beck, Mongolian Chop Squad, and then going to town on a bunch of the other stuff that's that, that Comixology Unlimited offers, because there, there's I kind would of like a to ton. interject you, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Listeners, what you do is you sign up to Kindle Unlimited. Ooh, you get the first month for free. That's you true. get all the Kindle books and all the Comixology books. Nice. Well done. Yeah, that is actually probably a better solution. Thank you, Graham. And I'm fairly sure that like Kindle Unlimited is like ten dollars a month and isn't Comixology with like seven? Uh yeah, I think I think Comixology Unlimited is like six ninety nine or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah. so really for the, the like the extra three dollars having access to a lot of books as well. That's true. Seems completely reasonable to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 
Absolutely. So it's interesting. So is does Kindle Unlimited have all the stuff that the Comicsology Unlimited mm-hmm. does? Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I I knew it had the exclusives, but I didn't know if it had the. I I'm fairly sure. I could be wrong, okay. but I know that it definitely has uh, a a wide selection of Comicsology material. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's all the stuff from comics from Comicsology Unlimited, but I would not be surprised if it is. Right. That would actually sort of make sense, I think, in a way, in sort of the way that you can see Amazon being like, no, 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 no. <laughs> we, the the mothership comes first. So, uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, um, it's great. So, I, let's see, what else did I... I could sort of... What did you think about Justice League number three? Did you have thoughts? I've, I've got to say that my thoughts about Justice League number three were, did I read issue two? And that led me to go back and reread issues one, two, and three in a row. Mm-hmm. And they stand up surprisingly well oh, on okay. reread. Especially reading continuously. Mm. Uh, to the point where I liked all three far more than I did the first time I read them. Like significantly more, dramatically more. Wow. To the point where my first thought was, oh, I want to reread all of Metal in one sitting now. Wow. Interesting. In case, like, in case, because I also reread all uh, No Justice in one sitting, and that also reads a lot better when you no. read them all. On really? Up. Yeah, it does. Really? Huh. A lot better. Hmm. Um, to the point where I was like, oh, like, is is this a case of I was in the wrong frame of mind when I read them before? Do they just read not even poorly, but not nowhere near as good uh, in single issue, or what what's going on here? But yeah. My first thought when reading issue three was, "I did I read issue two? I don't even remember what is going on." Mm. Uh, and then rereading them all in a month, I was like, "Oh, this this is this is great! Like oh. this, this is really good." So yeah, that that was my that was my takeaway. Oh, good. Well, I will well, keep that in mind. I was underwhelmed. Yeah, I feel like there's diminishing returns starting to set in with that with this one as well, where it's. A little easier in some ways to bear because there is because I think the art is lovely um, uh, and I don't know but yeah no there were there were some notes in issue three that just kind of struck me wrong and I was like Ugh, is this going to just be hard for me so maybe I do need to sit down and reread them all at a go um, everything that felt random to me in issue three and there was a bunch that felt random to me in issue yeah. three first read. Mm-hmm. Did not reading all three together, mm. uh, or at least it felt. Um, it, we get back to the, you're like, well, this makes no sense, but I want to know why, as opposed to, well, this makes no sense. <laughs> right. Well, you know? yeah, and I think that might be again, sort of as we were talking about with King uh, Snyder, who's a dude who I enjoyed, um, a, a lot. Actually, I feel like his his what I I feel like I'm losing a certain amount of it's not necessarily confidence in him. I just feel like I feel like he's got a shtick and it's sort of you were if you mm -hmm. were a stan for uh, Snyder when (laughs) during his Batman run Mm -hmm. and almost everything else he's done. You've been like, ah, maybe I was wrong. Well, because it's like the Batman run was still going on when his Superman run was happening. And you're like, no, right. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, the Superman run is like a big cautionary tale. But I think it's also very easy to just blame that on Jim Lee in a way, you know. But but I don't. But know. again, I guess what I'm saying is like, I even during yep. your because you did really like the Batman run yes. all the way through the end. Yeah. Yeah. But 
but it was like he did something else and you're like eh like you weren't I don't remember you being massively uh, blown away by the wake I don't think oh, I don't right, even yeah. read mm-hmm. the witches I, I read witches and actually thought that that was incredibly disappointing but that right? being said that's, yeah, yeah I guess that's what I'm saying yeah. like is like Batman worked for you and then everything else you've been like Aah. right um so it's it's not a big surprise well, I guess that, it's surprising to me because every time, like this first issue of Justice League, I'm like, wow, I'm really excited about this. And then I get to issue three, I'm like, eh, you know, I was really down with all the metal prequels. And then by the time the metal issues start coming up, I'm like, oh, no, uh, you know, so, yeah, I don't know. I, it is interesting to me. But maybe that's the thing is, is maybe I need to read them all at a go. I don't know. Maybe. Again, it's that kind of thing of unless it's unless it's a 14 volume manga about, you know, a struggling kid who 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 wants to be part of a, something larger than himself and joins a rock band. Maybe maybe I just don't have what it takes because I got to say, I don't well, didn't, I wasn't too crazy about the unknown issue, too, either, um, which the unknown is one that I find really troubling because on the surface of it, I'm like, I like so many bits and pieces about this the overallness of it i just don't like i guess you know wait do, wait, do you mean the unexpected or sorry i do okay, mean okay, the okay. unexpected i keep calling okay. it the unknown but yeah the unexpected where i'm just like yeah but again that's a little I, i'm one i'm yes. wondering yes um whether i'm trying to think of a good way to say this <laughs> you're well basically just have your tastes changed uh... Like, do you like the old stuff because of the nostalgia? And really, do you just want to be reading the manga? Because if there's a, a, a running theme, mm-hmm. like, especially over the last year, mm-hmm. it's been that, I'm trying to think, again, of a good way to say this, you are far more excited about even, like, okay to good manga mm-hmm. than you are like western superhero comics that are just good do you know what i mean like they're, they're, it's just it that just seems to be where your interests are lying more right. and i'm wondering if it, if there is just a sense of like maybe your tastes are just changing yeah, maybe like maybe you're just that like this stuff just isn't what you want anymore could be i i could be i mean i, I guess the thing would be i would feel like if that was the case then there would be less excitement up front you know what I mean? Like, unless unless there's sort of, unless that excitement isn't sort of genuine excitement, but is rather well, like, some sort yeah, of yeah. habit. It, or it's something. like, yeah, it's it's like imaginary excitement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like maybe this will be the thing that will be as good as the thing I remember. Yeah, maybe. As opposed to like genuinely being excited to read the thing. Well, but except I feel like I read the first thing and I'm like, ah, it's great. I'm just sort of, I feel like the, the, there's a law of diminishing returns that seems to kick in very quickly. And I just, um, but yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe that is the case. I don't know. I, I guess we'll, we'll, I guess I'll have to see, but part of me is kind of, I think I think it's funny that it's like that as opposed to the idea of overworked creators who are cranking things out at biweekly rates oh, rapidly no, no. falling it's... into a pattern of ticks and habits, you know. I I yeah, I guess where I'm first of all, I think you're 
I think that's definitely a strong possibility <laughs> to un- put it, to understate it. Yeah. Um, but what is always interesting to me is also the idea that I think you just like I think you get excited about manga that you apologize for so much that it feels like you're like yeah I know this isn't actually good but I really like it that makes me think it's not just that the superhero stuff is disappointing you does that make sense maybe like you're more more willing to cut the manga slack and that's what makes me think maybe that's just what you want to read no 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 I I think that I am more uh, aware that I I think for myself I'm not generally uh, an unreserved lover of things you know what I mean like I, I think I think that as people have pointed out with my various vocal tics, I have a tendency to qualify everything pretty heavily. But I also feel like it's important for me, coming out of some of our discussions and aware that some of our listeners don't always remember them or have heard them or, you know, or even I remember them, um, is is that um, I'm aware that, that things that I, there are things in manga that I don't find as problematic that people like you do and I think people generally should you know there's a ridiculous amount of sexual <laughs> inequality or exploitation that takes place in manga that I'm I, I, really I'm able to flash by to, yeah yeah I'm just flashing back to you being like and of course Beck has lots of girls in bikinis yes swimsuit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, but like, that's a selling point for you, and that's legitimately a selling point for you. Do you yes. know what I mean? And then, yeah. like, you know, twenty minutes later, you're like, I think it's true that you know, there's a lot that uh, I should find more problematic. And I'm like, no, because it's a selling point for you. Totally well, no yeah. problem. Well, well, no, 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 no. I mean, I how do I put it? I, I guess I suppose so. I mean, I don't know, Graham. I I'm like, I want to split hairs with you, sir. I personally think that. <laughs> An artist who draws a woman in a swimsuit very well is going to have more appeal than an artist who draws a swim- woman in a swimsuit very poorly. You know what I mean? I am quite sure, serious. But if you're talking about, but if you're talking about like the the gender inequality and 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 like underlying misogyny, are you not literally talking about like the fact that you're saying one of the great things about this comic is there's lots of girls in swimsuits. Well, no, like, is that... I know. Well, no, 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 no. But I, uh, I, no, no, no. I'm not saying that one of the great things is there's lots of girls in swimsuits because honestly, there's plenty of bad manga that have that. I'm saying it's a good manga, and in part, you know, the women in swimsuits is a sell for me because it's actually drawn well. I want to put that out there because that is the sort of thing for for whom it should raise a few uh, eyebrows and or warning flags. And I think I think it's important to put that out there. I mean, I feel like most people who have listened to the podcast long enough know my tastes enough to be like, oh, okay. But I feel like it's worth putting out there in the world, like some of my qualifiers. And to be fair, I do I do not think, at least from what I've encountered with Beck so far. There is uh, there a, a, a few cheap gags aside. There's nothing like the level of uh, misogyny that you run across in you know uh, Oba and Obata's like Death Note or Bakuman, for example. You know, there's a there. It's yeah, it's ridiculous to say that there's not a degree of objectification going on. But I also feel that the characters in 
the female characters in the book are kind of uh, uh, feel like people, I guess, even though they seem to they're existing mainly as um, love opponents uh, for the hero's attention. Let's face it, love opponents is the breakout phrase of of 2018. Right? It is. It's a every time I say it, I'm like, it just feels right. Um, you know, so, so no, I, I feel like what I feel is, is there's a lot of qualifications. And I think this is going to happen for me generally the older I get and the more that it's a thing of, you know, I'm not the target market for Beck. And therefore people my age, I think there should be a level of qualifiers in there. And the flip side of it also is, is that, um, you know, uh, as an older dude, I'm more and more aware of the ways in which the things that I turn a blind eye to are things that are societally problematic, that I don't want to support in the um, in our culture and in our society. And so I think that it's kind of, to me, it's kind of worth pointing out. You know, I don't want someone, uh, a, you know, a younger listener of the podcast, if such a thing really does actually exist, you know, to, to go run out and buy, uh, or, or pick up a bunch of manga on my recommendation and be like, this is a bunch of objectifying horrible crap. You know, like I kind of want that flag flown in, in the air. So all of which is to say, I think my qualifiers for manga are coming from a slightly different place than than how you interpret them, and that that might just be me um, cutting hairs. But yeah, I will do definitely you, say. Do you cut the manga more slack than you cut the Western comics? Honestly, I gotta tell you, I feel like the things, the the ways that they do things differently. I feel that I feel like the things that I judge manga for and and western comics for I feel manga generally does a better job at like I feel like most of the manga that I read when I read it I mean it's it's one thing when I'm picking up something that's just you know uh, and there's there's nothing necessarily wrong with it but like a lot of the stuff in Shonen Jump doesn't necessarily appeal to me per se because of who the uh, the target audience and how squarely they hook into that audience but I would say that as a general rule of thumb when it comes to either being more enjoyable feeling more satisfactory on a chapter by chapter basis or just in terms of the plot just feeling like more effort and work and thought was put into it I feel like manga generally does better for me in that regard than yeah a lot of western superhero comics but the the things that I am more worried about um for manga is things of problematic representation that I feel that currently American comics are really trying very hard on. And so I don't think to critique Western comics for that. I do think that, you know, 
if part of me is like, eh, Snyder's kind of fallen into like a set pattern of ticks or Coates is turgid or Bendis <laughs> has a lot of scenes that are, that are highly readable, um, at first blush, but, you know, also tend to be kind of slap, you know, plotted in sort of slapdash fashion and tend to have resolutions that feel um, boneheaded, you know? Like, there's just all those things where I feel like, and who knows, what I find with manga is is that manga, also like comics, can be sort of all middle and but and but a lot of manga series do end and when they end sometimes they get so popular they end up going on past the point where they're originally supposed to end so they have they end up being anticlimactic for like a ridiculous number of volumes or they end up like thinking that they're going to end and in the process of ending they get so popular they you know drag things out a little bit more and that also ends up being anticlimactic or they end up having to end much sooner than they think they're going to so they're going to draw to a finish but then they get popular again and don't or sometimes they just fucking end you know and (laughs) all of which is to say is is that that there are times where there's manga series that I've adored for the first 18 to 20 volumes, and then I'm like, oh, Jesus, why don't you just fucking end? Come on. This is, like, you cannot come up with yet another character to be the love interest to this dude. He's already had 17 of them, you know? Um, And yet, you know, or there's stuff like, you know, completely over-the-top insane bullshit like Ryan Freeman, where it's like, objectionable in just about every way and then also the story never really ends or at least it doesn't get collected fully collected here in america and i'm fucked but um all of which is to say i feel like i I feel like american comics are pretty easily satisfied i think i think we're still at the stage where the monthly chunks sometimes don't feel particularly satisfying on their own and then you read the trades and the trades themselves don't feel they they don't they feel like they need another pass like there's the what manga does to make sure that the first um chapter that comes out when it's serialized goes through a lot of editorial oversight and revisions in ways that I just feel the American industry doesn't. And so there's ways, at least at least for me, at a certain basic formalist level, I'm like, they can read as more satisfying chunks. Where they fall down and where they break, I think can be shockingly similar to Western comics in terms of the longer haul. And I also feel that the areas where they really fall flat, perhaps unsurprisingly, um is, you know, they're made for a different culture with different standards of what's correct. And, you know, the Japanese culture can be very conservative in some ways. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but by the same token, I'm like, I feel like there's ways in which I would love more American comics to be about kids running around trying to form rock bands and dealing with, you know, 
their 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 crushes and uh then you know in a way that it is you know what i mean like and that's mm-hmm. the weird thing for me is is like you can get into stuff that does that incredibly incredibly well like hartley lynn's young francis you know which is sort of the the young um 20 something version of some of that stuff and it's inc- and it's great you know but it's there's not a there's not a lot out there and b of course it can take a long long time for it to kind of come out and come to you know fruition i should say did i answer your okay. question or I, was your question even not yes, really put I, into that no i i want like there's so much more i want to dig into mm-hmm. but i am also like i feel like i would almost be bullying you at that point <laughs> I, well it's I happened before Graham. Weird, god knows but... it's happened before <laughs> What, it's... Not, what you're hearing is the end of the podcast forever. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. Thank you for listening all these years. Exactly. So we I made it to 250. It's ironic that 251 kills it, but you know, it's, <laughs> it happens. It happens. Um, but I, I was, I was also going to say is like, I'm also super conscious that like we're over the two hour mark. Oh yeah, it's true. Right. And I'm like, this is not time for me to just be like, but Jeff, <laughs> <laughs> listeners, imagine me just going down this, this rabbit hole even more yeah, and imagine Jeff's like following me down this rabbit hole. The thing that I and think I'm, sure, really I'm sure it could all work out. Funny, Graham, is I feel I feel like for whatever reason, I feel like I am hyper di- diligent about explaining my contradictions. And you're kind of like. Yeah, but that just leads to bigger and bigger contradictions. And I feel like whenever I try and nail you on yours, you're kind of like, ah, no, it worked for me. No, No, that's fine. (laughs) No, it's pretty much okay. No, it's all good. I was actually thinking about this uh, before the podcast. Really? That's so funny. Yeah, that I am am really resistant to, if I have an emotional response to something, Mm -hmm. to analyzing the emotional response or Mm -hmm. overthinking the emotional response. Which I think is probably smart. I think it's probably smart. Um, and that, like, I really do just sort of retreat to, it worked for me. Right. Or, like, you know, Batman 50, like, the, the, the letters, like, emotionally got me. Like, there was, there's stuff in there that resonated with me mm-hmm. and that I could see myself in or I could see past relationships in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I like, I really resist going deeper into that. Mm-hmm. Because it feels like it is, it feels like to analyze that is to uh, not only deny it but risk losing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and generally, I think I'm a more emotional reader than you are. Yeah, I like think, I think I it think true, comes yeah. down to I like it or I don't like it. Right. Right. You know. Like, this is exciting, or this is shit, and that's like, you know, and if you push me, I can be like, well, because of blah, 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 and blah, 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 but it really is like a visceral, good, bad, good, bad. <laughs> right, right, which I, are, which I get, are, but yeah, no, 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 no. no, no. Yeah, like, I, like if, I, if something works for me, I'm like, no, it worked, done. Right, right. You know, like, I don't, I don't want to question the magic. Mm. I don't want to, to, um... To, to look too deeply in, in in large part, especially in this podcast, because I don't want you to talk me out of it. 
Right, which which I have done a few times, uh, and I do understand. I do understand that. I I understand that response, and I understand that in a way. I I actually understand that threat because there are times where I'm kind of like, ah, that Graham McMillan, that frustrating ball of you know contradictions, you know. But I'm always the one who gets you know put on. Leaving it with that frustrating ball, just leave it. That frustrating (laughs) ball, Graham McMillan. Yeah, that's actually is kind of. You're right. That would not be cool. No, 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 no. Uh, um, yeah. No, but because you, I like, I, because I feel like you read in a much more intellectual sense, mm-hmm. or at least you approach things in a much more intellectual sense. Like you, you'll explain your reasoning behind anything. Right. Right. So, that, yeah, and I see, right. mm-hmm. like, what seems like genuinely, what the reason I was asking about, like, maybe you just want to read manga, is because I'm approaching it from my point of view. Mm-hmm. Maybe you just get more pleasure from reading manga. Right. Well, no, and I think like maybe, maybe right. that maybe that's just like maybe you just literally don't like reading like Western comics right now because they're not giving you what you want, and manga does. Mm. Uh, you know, it's a that's it's it's a good point. Interestingly enough, I feel like there um, when I started working in, behind the counter at Comics Experience, uh, I really. Was way back in the heyday of like manga was, you know, being sold in bookstores and kids lying around reading it and people were coming in and asking about stuff and Hibs was trying to put together a, a, you know, had a manga shelf put together and it really was like, I just don't understand the appeal and I'm like, you know what? I can figure it out. Like I can, I'm here. I might as well read it. And when I, when it clicked and I fell in love, it was kind of like, this stuff is great. And and what was interesting was there was enough different stuff on the shelf, but also because there had been such a big buildup of kind of great material that hadn't hit the shore that was kind of like, okay, here it, here it all is. Um, it was really easy to kind of jump from great thing to great thing. Also, it really helped that uh, when you don't know the formula at first, it all seems really new, like you're experiencing it. Um, well, but fresh, then, but then right? and and maybe this is again me projecting, but like I remember when I'm a kid, and I'm reading superior comics, and you work out the formula, and that's super rewarding too. Yes, absolutely. Well, if you because work when it you out work out when yeah. you work out the formula, you're right. like there is this moment of like, oh, I get it. Right. I right. totally get it, and this is as rewarding as everything being new and ex- like new and surprising. Right. Right. Absolutely. You know, like I'm I'm in. Right. Yeah, and I think, but I I just want to point out for me that was like. A long time ago, that was that really was like it was really funny to me reading reading these issues of Beck, and the other thing that I've been reading this week and really enjoying is making my way through Fifty Two really slowly, like reading an issue or two a day, um, and read you know, and usually being kind of sucked in in the let me just read one more chapter, really because I want to read one more page of everyone's like uh, commentary afterwards you know, that they have in these collections. Um, and so finding myself being like, God, is was I reading Beck at the same time as 52? Like, is this just me just jumping in the old way back machine <laughs> I, to like yeah, 2006? Just, yeah. yeah. Am I 12 years ago already? Yeah, exactly. Is it, is it, is it me rereading the stuff from 12 years ago? Uh, and, but, but I do, 
one of the things that's been rough is been trying to find manga that has really resonated with me. And I, and for everyone who keeps trying, I swear to you, I will give my hero, uh, academia a shot. Like I read the first chapter, the first, inst- and it just didn't do much for me, but I'll, keep pressing but like you know golden kamai aside we've heard me complain about the shit that i'm like god damn it i need more to read because i'm currently either caught up on the stuff that i love that is missing additional you know that i need a new volume out soon or there's stuff that i kind of fell off of or that didn't really ring my chimes or whatever it's it's a hard it's it's harder for me now to pick up manga and just be like oh i love this this is great cuz believe me i've grabbed stuff and been like ugh boy this is not doing it for me at all like this is the opposite of doing it like um there was some manga series that i picked up that seemed kind of great that really was literally about like um you know, kids who like go to like school on the beach and it's all like, it's all girls in bikinis. And seriously, I, I think it's maybe like volume two before the guy's like, yes. And then I decided to start a band, you know, kind of thing. And I'm like, okay. And it's just horrible. I don't even remember what it is. It's got blue in the title. I think it's, you know, blue golden crush thing. I wonder if I can even find it now. Like I really have so many books on here. Let's see if I can, let's see if it comes up. Um, and I was just like, this is not great. Oh shit. Yeah. Grand blue dreaming. Right. And so, and that was definitely the book that I was thinking of when I was like, no, Graham, no, 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 no. There are books with, that are just women in bikinis that I don't appreciate, you know, and it's <laughs> not necessarily because of the sexism. It really has a lot to do with the idea that this is a person who hasn't left the house and doesn't know how to draw people like at all in any believable way. Um, so yeah, so 12 years ago, I think it would have been a better point for me to be like, yes, absolutely. Um, now it's just kind of this weird thing of, of where I'm just kind of like comics. I want to, you know, Western comics. I really want to root for you. Like, come on, pull it together. And, and maybe you're right. Maybe it's just me being like, Hey, this is not really your thing anymore. And you need to realize it. And, and the thing that's ironic is apart from my sort of serious worry about, you know, the direct market collapsing and, and all sorts of things being destroyed. Like it's pretty easy for me just to putter around forever. You know what I mean? Like in the sense of like, I, as long as there's old DC comics that I I can, you know, that come out on Hoopla and I have Marvel unlimited and I, I pick up an image thing every so often. And I just, as long as I pay enough attention to what Al Ewing's writing. So I make a point to check it out. Maybe that's all I need, but that just, but part of me is also kind of a thing of maybe, you know, again, it's like maybe comics just need to be better. Like maybe there's just a way in which, the were you know like part of me is like maybe we're just easy too easy pleased with some of this stuff i don't know well yeah i yeah okay you know what i mean and i but but yeah i, no, I, 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 I guess what, like i keep once go by so like how, isn't that always true mm-hmm. well for us or you you mean for me or in, how do you in mean gen- no yeah. in, in general like 
shouldn't comics always be better? <laughs> like, well, sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree, but I, I also I guess, think okay, that... I guess, what I, yeah. I guess what I'm asking is this. Mm-hmm. Is there uh You want comics to be like... 2006 or 1987 or like is there an ideal a platonic ideal of what you want western comics to be uh, no i mean i just think that that is that is actually a that's a really good question um i think i don't know i would like to i would like to think no i would like to think that no i'm perfectly fine with you know, but it's clear that I have opinionated tastes about, say, Batman. Like, you can't just crank out any old Batman comic and give it to Jeff, because Jeff's going to be, like, super goddamn fussy about it. But even, again, like, Scott also, Snyder's... going to buy it. What's fair. that? What? You're also going to buy it, to be fair. Well, yeah. No, but I mean, but that's kind of that thing of, like, I, you know, again, like, the just, like Scott Snyder's Justice League stuff. I kind of have this thing of, like, like you said... Maybe the trick is that I need to read it all at once, all in a oneer, and then I'll be super satisfied that that whatever I'm not getting enough of or what doesn't feel like a thing, but I feel like it just all feels like that I would like to be surprised more, I guess, and I would also like to have that feeling of. I don't know, people just working a just working a little bit harder. You know what I mean? Like I feel again, I feel like Snyder is Scott Snyder, if you look at it from one angle, is working super hard. And Brian Bendis is a perfect example of this. Brian Bendis is clearly a dude who works hard. You, there is no doubt in my mind that that You can guy, put out six books a month right. and not be working hard. Exactly. Exactly. But but what that definition of working hard is and what you end up getting to me is the product that where I get a little yeah, more yeah. dubious. Work, working hard is not working hard should not be solely defined by page exactly. number. Yeah, exactly. It should be defined by creativity is what you're saying. Yeah, well, creativity or even just a willingness to, to kind and of... Yeah, like to branch out and explore or change things up. Like there's got to be a certain degree of getting – one of the things that I really give Grant Morrison a lot of credit up for is he kind of does get tired of his own bullshit after a while, and he will try and change things up. He still sort of has his obsessions or his ways that he tries to approach them. But if nothing else, even if it frustrated the shit out of me at the time, I can look back at – some of the shit that was going on in like um, Final Crisis or Batman R.I.P. and be like, okay, even when he's doing, even when he's like returning to, you know, the limbo of forgotten comic book characters that that he that is from Animal Man, he's still doing it in a different way. Like the storytelling's a little bit different. You know what I mean? And there's kind of a... And it's weird that I actually am pointing this out about, say, Morrison because I feel like Morrison on the other hand has become part of what drives me crazy about reading um the unknown is how much uh steve orlando feels to me like it's it's bargain basement morrison which normally works for me in a way like normally i'm like yes i you know okay like 
I understand we can't have a Radiohead album out all the time. Give me Coldplay. You know what I mean? But like Steve Orlando as the Coldplay to Grant Morrison's Radiohead, which I know is a sentence that just makes but like your teeth have got to be so on edge. Like that's just me like dragging my fingernails <laughs> down a chalkboard in so many ways. And yet and yet I really do like reading reading Orlando's thing is like ugh you're really just going to have everyone explain themselves to each other in dialogue all the time because Morrison did it and it's okay. And But there's part of me that's like, on the other hand, Orlando, like Morrison, is trying to accelerate the number of things that he can jam into a story and that's the way that you kind of end up having to do it. And yet at the same time, I'm like, yeah, but I just don't like it. I just don't like I'm just I'm just like there's nothing new here like there's not anything other than the idea that Orlando is to me um, younger and is more um, takes I don't want to say what's the right word you know is is more progressive in his and way of the in his view of the world i suppose and yet by the same token i'm still kind of reading stuff that feels um you know the only thing i find really surprising is how unsurprising it is but maybe that is the nat- the nature of the beast in that that you know that this stuff is if you're reading it for somebody who's been in you know reading comics for like 5 years or less it's fucking awesome you know so i don't know i don't know how much of that is the old man on the mount i think there's a really good point to be made for someone to be to make that it's like dude you've been reading avengers since you're 12 like what the hell are you going to get from them still you know what i mean like there is a little bit of the yeah, maybe I should just fuck off, which would be fine. It just would really help <laughs> if there were more people coming in behind me to actually pick up these books and be like, oh, yeah, this is terrific, you know. But as far as I can tell, and not that I've really been following the sales figures, it sure seems like it's still the same 80,000 people who are buying comics, you know, and I, you know. Just wait, all the, all the, the people buying, what's it called, Jawbreakers? They're going to save the industry, Jeff. Yeah, right. Right. Absolutely. Uh, by which I mean, what the hell is Jawbreakers? What, are, what is, is that? It's like? the, the, um, fuck, what's he called? Diversity in Comics comic. Oh, it's, is that that it, guy's comic? Okay. Yeah, all right. yeah. 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 Exactly. Right. That those people are going to come back and save the day. Or even like this thing where, where it sounds like, uh, Mark Miller like gamed the system for his, like, uh, oh boy, did he game the system? <laughs> yeah, for like the for the the first volume, the first issue of Magic Order. Magic Order, thank you. Yeah, right. Uh, his, his Netflix comic. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's definitely a game system. Yeah, no one will ever say it on the record, but off the records, Jeff, let me tell you, <laughs> many people are really happy to talk about. It. <laughs> I bet it is hilarious. Yeah. Um. Mark and in his attempt to make sure that he had the top selling comic of June uh, did some things that I'm not going to repeat in this podcast but uh, talked to some people and ended up with the second best selling comic of June <laughs> which must be so fucking annoying for him <laughs> yeah that's kind of a so bummer so close even when you were 
totally playing the system. Yep. And, you know, in the past, you and I have talked about, like, how Marvel games the system in terms of orders. Yes. Um, let's just say that that's chump change compared with what happened there. Yeah. With Magic. Right, right. Like, really impressively, like, if you go all out to try and just be like, okay, like, how, what do I have to do to make this the number one comic? Right. I'm going to be shameless about it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. Which is Number two, though. Number two with a bullet. Number two with a bullet. Yeah. That is frustrating to do that and then come out as, with the second. That is, that is kind of a bummer. Grant McMillan, I can't tell time. Should we, should we, is it a thing? We should. We're, we're, we're we're two and a half hours. We're in two and a half hours. I'm so sorry, everybody. I mean, it really is. Maybe I can trim down my soul searching to like a. No, you've got to leave that soul searching in. I think so too. And everyone should know, everyone should know that if we hadn't done it like in the second half of the podcast, I would have really gone further in the soul searching for Jeff. Wow. So just be glad this is like the all soul searching episode for Jeff. Like, your soul-searching was the fucking quantum realm, and I'm fucking Janet Van Dyne just disappearing into it, Jeff. Wow, Graham. Wow. I'm very impressed by that reference, considering there's... I was going to say, there's nothing you like less than an Ant-Man movie, but yeah. yeah, yeah. I I actually enjoyed the second film. Did you? Wow, see, you worked that in. Really, Graham? Well, were you surprised? You must have been surprised. Uh, sure. I wasn't really because so so many people I know had seen it mm-hmm. and basically gone like it's fun. Like right. basically going with zero expectations, other than you're probably going to laugh sometimes. Mm-hmm. I will have a good time, and sure enough, I laughed sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like that was all I wanted. And honestly, what I wanted from it was so very different. Like as we said in the last podcast, like the world's shit. Mm-hmm. So if I can go to the film, and it's like, look, it's Paul Rudd's being cute, and and right. uh, Evangeline Lilly being cute, and they're doing funny jokes, and they shrink sometimes, and oh, there's a giant salt shaker, right. ha ha, right. sure, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like I I was perfectly willing to be like, I'm gonna step inside this world for two hours, right. Well, that's fabulous. I'm which, very glad which is I, far from the best, like, the most ringing endorsement. Uh, but I did. I, I enjoyed it much more than I enjoyed the first film. Well, I was about to say, because that's the thing of, like, I feel like that's a pretty decent characterization of the first film, and yet you did not enjoy that, which, but I did. So I was kind of like, huh, okay. Well, that's, no, that's interesting. I, I, I expected I'm, that. Yeah. I Go and see it, Jeff. Okay. Get yourself to the cinema and go and see it. Okay, Graham. That's... And just be prepared for one of my favorite things about it, which is the end uh-huh. is super strange. <laughs> <laughs> it honestly feels like they kind of slap on the beginning of the third movie at the end of the second movie. Wow, really? And, like, let's... Not that the end... Like, their conclusion to one of the plot lines of, this, of the film brings in an element that has come out of fucking nowhere. Really? And they're like, and they actually go, huh, did you know that would happen? No, I didn't. It's the end of the film, everyone. <laughs> and you're like, no, but wait. Like, this is obviously, like, not only seeding the third film, but so unsubtly mm. that you're like, is this the start of the third film? <laughs> like, have we just walked into the third film? What's happening? <laughs> it, 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 
uh, it's a film that has five writers and honestly feels like it has five writers. Interesting. Huh. That's usually not a th- that's usually not the best thing, but hmm, interesting. It's it, it's a it's an almost uh, Tom King esque uneven <laughs> tonal film. Jeff. Wow, <laughs> all the way right back to start. Hmm. What nuts? We will have show notes for this episode. See, I'm just going straight into the end. Yeah. We will have show notes for this episode at waitwhatpodcast.com. Uh, there will be things on the Tumblr at waitwhatpods.tumblr.com. There is a an Instagram, which I still can't remember the fucking URL for. It's right. It's instagram.com forward slash waitwhatpod. That's what it is. Um, there is also a Twitter account at Wait What Podcast. Jeff has a Twitter account solo at Lazy Bastard at L A Z Y B A S T I D. I have a Twitter account at Graham M at G R A E M E M. And we are a Patreon supporter podcast, which means Mr. Jeffrey Lester is going to ramp up to talk to you all with some dulcet tones. <laughs> yes, indeed. Here I am with my dulcet tones to talk about how. Uh, <laughs> How grateful we are for you guys, uh, month in and month out, because, um, I don't know, uh, why? Well, because you're awesome, uh, but also I think that, um, I'm always, I always consider myself very lucky when I get a chance to talk to Graham for a couple of hours at length, and, um, this somehow even though I, even though I give you shit oh yes no well admittedly the times when you give me shit are are can be a little um exasperating and there's also times when I'm really aware that I'm not being generous and I'm like ah I'm really going to skewer Graham like whatever he's going to say about Batman I'm really going to make it a point to point out why he's wrong whether he likes it or not I just I'm aware his I cannot his 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 two facedness about how much he enjoys it while disdaining absolutely everything about any inspiration on the series is just it's driving me crazy. It's driving me nuts. Um, you know, again, wow. not coming from a place of good faith sometimes. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I, you know? I, I didn't, I didn't see any of that coming. <laughs> again, this is the last episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Well, see, so there you go. Sometimes you stick the Patreon, um, shout out and sometimes you don't. And I, I have to say, this is probably, probably my, my most, uh, successful <laughs> failure yet. So, um, anyway, Listeners, up until now, we had a pretty good time and a good run. So, and a lot of that was due to you because, um, you know, I don't know. You did a great job of keeping me civil when clearly I shouldn't, uh, I should always be, always. And, um, I really do enjoy talking to Graham. So, thanks to listeners like you and the fine listeners at Patreon. Um, we continue to keep doing this and keep pushing ourselves and pushing each other. Um, uh, and uh, you know, up until the point of an uncomfortable shoving uh, match ensues, in which case we rapidly retreat to our own corners and pretend that didn't happen, and then apologize profusely afterwards. Graham, I'm really sorry for what I just said. And uh, and I'm not, um, I'm not accepting it. I feel like I'm getting all of the true like Jeff hatred of me out tonight. <laughs> Honestly, I'm uncomfortable. Oh, keep going. Oh man. <laughs> anyway. Uh, we're really grateful to, uh, all the wonderful listeners, including the people on Patreon who are kind enough to throw us some Solari 
as the uh, Dune Universe people would have it, uh, to uh, help oh, make one, this all possible. It went over my head. I, I, I love it when you do this, Jeff. <laughs> Honestly, I'm like, Solari, that's fucking great. Well, again, I've, I... I have I have my secrets. I have my ways. Uh, and we're super grateful to the kind crew at American Ninth Art Studios, as well as Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy. Um, especially grateful to them for their continuing support of this podcast and um, from keeping me from uh, keeping me from from yes, keeping me from crushing Graham's dreams. I was there was originally going to be something about Empress Audrey. Too, too late. Night. Yeah, too late. Exactly. Oh no, shit! And now you're buzzing. How did we talk for? An hour and a half and you didn't buzz at all and now oh it's like been an hour ten should we just sign off Graham do you want to did you want to I, 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 I'm going to buzz oh my god that is the worst sounding thing ever but yeah I'm so glad you did that okay